It's time for you to do your thing to do to do to do. I will do my thing. Wait, you oh. mean the show? Oh, I hope so. David Dedrick and this is Sneaky Dragon, and I just said that all backwards. See, bat, 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 bow. You got it, Dave. Hi, I'm Ian. <laughs> let's do. Let's just scatter our way through this. <laughs> Scoop, boop, boobity, boop, boop. Okay. All right. Now the letters. <laughs> Wait, what? I don't know. Uh, Dave's away, so uh, I can do whatever I want. He That's can't true. stop me. I can't stop you. I know it sounds like Dave's here, but he's not here. He's I'm... actually. Uh, uh, far, far away. I am. How, far, how far away are you? I'm in the Orkney Islands now. Okay. That sounds made up. The Orkney Islands? Yeah, Orkney Islands. Orkney sounds Islands. Made up. Well, we were talking about... Um, Frank Orkney. An episode ago, Louise wrote and talked about the fact that the Orkney Islands are agitating. Some people are agitating. Most likely, some cranks are agitating are in the Orkney Islands for something that the new papers are calling Orksit. <laughs> it is Orkney leaving... Uh, oh, boy. Leaving Scotland. Okay. And becoming its own thing. They don't want to leave the UK. They just don't want to be under the under the uh, yoke of the Scottish Parliament. Okay. They want to be under the more general yoke of the British Parliament, I guess. <laughs> All right. But it's fair enough because Orkney. Yeah. I know nothing of the history, so I can't be, you know, throwing judgment. I come yeah. from Quebec. It was originally. We've wanted to leave for a long time. That's true. Well, you say you want to leave. You know, it's uh, you know, your lips say no, but your eyes say yes. Quebec, talking to you. Um, but. The I guess they're wees say so yes. Anyway, the um, if you're gonna say that to us, say it in French. <laughs> Does you oh. uh, parle uh, oui non What's... et to to bouche reparier oui okay. no no comme si comme ça comme si peut-être poutine um, poutine <laughs> yeah. So I guess they because originally it was like a Norwegian. Uh, uh, like colony or whatever, like oh, under right. the control of Norway. And sometime in the past, mm-hmm. couple, slogan, couple hundred the years, yeah, the the Scottish moved in, mm-hmm. and there was a there is an Earl of Orkney. There's okay. a there's like a house there, like an estate on the island. It's the only place where there are trees <laughs> in Orkney. True, truly, okay. the house is in the kind of in a a dip, and there's an, and there's I guess enough of a area that isn't wind blasted that they have like a grove of oh, trees. Wow. Yeah. So where you're staying at the Orkney Islands, there's no trees around. No, it's very, it's very, it's very few trees. Is that weird for you when you're there? Because you're so tree heavy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm tree heavy because I eat so many. But yeah, you enjoy. It. You're you're part beaver. <laughs> but um, by the it way, is uh, odd. please listen yeah. to Dave's other podcast. Damned if you don't. Please do. Uh, and uh, yeah, we t- we look at the issues and get our teeth into them. Right. Yep. That's what. So all their tree houses are just on ground level. <laughs> They're all ranchers. <laughs> we don't want to go too high. We're not high and mighty. Mm-hmm. The yeah, no, it's it is kind of odd actually. But what's kind of nice about Orkney is it's like a big giant like dairy farm because mm. really just flat and green. There's not a lot of buildings on the you know outside of the cities city areas, and even the cities aren't that big. Like Kirkwall's pretty large. Stromness is not very large at all, considering like the the sway and power of Stromness Shopping Week. Okay, explain. It's, We've talked about it before. It's it's. Uh, I've only experienced it once. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, we're going to be arriving a week after Stromness Shopping Week this year. Oh, okay. On this trip, and when I heard that, I was I was like agitating with 
that we flip flip the, the show, or we flip our trip and go to Orkney first, but Lisa was, no. But anyway, so yeah, or- Stromness Shopping Week is, it's a promotional thing. Mm-hmm. It's to promote shopping in Stromness. Mm-hmm. You know, the, st- the shops and stores there have this little, and so they, but they do a parade. They do a parade. You love a parade. Who doesn't? I come from Aldergrove, mm-hmm. which is the, ho- the, like, the local home of the parade. Right. It's actually kind of died down now, but we still do have like the Remembrance Day Parade and the Christmas Parade. But we used to have a Canada Day Parade and we would have, there was one other parade that they did and I can't remember what it was now, who it was for or what it was about. But anyway, we're pretty parade heavy. But Stromna Shopping Week Parade is, it's insane because of the detail that they put into their floats. All right. It's just madness. Like the first time I saw it, I could not believe my eyes or ears. Even my mouth, I thought was a liar. Just the, the just the amount of like work that went into the, these these floats, and they're like, they're just, ah, yes, you you did put yeah, up yeah. video of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is an amazing thing because you know, like the population of Orkney is small, and the population of Stromness is thus even smaller. Mm-hmm. And well, yet, there's no trees. There's not a lot of oxygen. <laughs> it has to be shared amongst a sure, small amount of people. Sure. Uh, and yeah, it's just it's just an amazing amount of work and labor that goes into it. But it just seems to be like a labor of love. Okay. And I mean, it's been a while since I saw it. Like the time that we saw it would have been, oh, it would have been '94, I guess, when when Eve was a wee lad. Oh wow. Wee last, I should say, because um, yeah, I'm pretty sure we didn't see it when we went there in 2002 or 2012. Or what did we see? Oh no, no. no. Oh, I don't remember now. Sorry, I almost, <laughs> almost thought I knew something, and then I realized I didn't. But maybe, oh, yeah, no, I don't think we. I saw wish that. the rest of the show was just this. This is me trying to remember exactly. Yeah, what. no, I've been there Wait. quite a few times. Yes, no, that's a problem. Nope. I've been there so often. Yes, I've been there so often, but I'm quite certain that Mary was with us. All right, and I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Eve was there too, but I, don't, I can't remember. But anyway, it's been a while since I I was a witness to it, so it may have come down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Like maybe nowadays there's internet. There's things for people to do there other than build access. floats and stuff like that. You know, get all carried away about really elaborate. But people want to put stuff on the internet, so maybe it uh, makes sense for them. Yeah, yeah. If they have a YouTube channel, how to build a float. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. But anyway, I am in, I am in the Orkneys as we speak. What I'm doing there, I don't know. I've seen everything there. I've been to the Ring of Brognar. I've been to <laughs> Scarabre. I've been to Maze Howe. I've so, been to the Tomb of the Eagles. Uh, you know. These all sound like you're in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, I mean, the the culture is what Tolkien drew on for his for for his um, you know world of Middle Earth. Oh, okay, it drew on like Norwegian legends and stuff like that, and Scandinavian legends, and you know, like the the el the elvish runes and stuff are obviously like copied from from uh, ancient writings of of the, those peoples and stuff. You know. All right, these are things I'm learning. Yeah, because um, Orkney has the largest collection of like like early settlements of of humans. Yeah, so they they win. And it's this, you know, fluke. Like, I mean, when the first time we went there, like, I think I just kind of shudder because, like, Scarabray was a, a village that was on the edge of a cliff, and it was revealed during a storm in the late the late uh, 19th century uh, when the waves washed all the sand away and revealed this Stone Age village. And it's really well preserved because it, it was under sand for, like, hundreds of years. Right. And if not a thousand years, or even I guess we a long time because we would have been like pre-Roman, right? So like thousands of years. Wow. That it sat there, and then it got revealed, and of course, you know, people then were not us, and so they're like, 
you know, well, it's revealed. Okay, there you go. You know, and uh, maybe some, you know, guys came up to look at it and do like, a you know, some research papers on it or whatever. But like when I was there in the first time I went in 89, there was no preservation of it. Like you could go in and like touch stuff and sit in the chair, sit on the, sit on the ground or sit on the, t- whatever they had there. Like last time we went, they had put plexiglass over stuff to protect it from idiots like us. But, you know, it, it was like just exposed to the elements and everything. But apparently there's a new uh, thing they discovered using LIDAR. Uh, when we were there last time in 2012, they had found the outlines of a new settlement mm-hmm. near the Standing Stones of Stenes. And so uh, obviously these are connected in some way. So, so yeah, I'm curious. So I'm sure that was, you know, 11 years ago. So I imagine they've begun to do the excavations and things. Wow. So I'm curious to see what's going on there. Because that's kind of like an interesting little uh, hub of activity because you do have Maze Howe, the burial chamber, down the street, like about 500 yards away. 500 meters, 500 meters away. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then you've got uh, standing stones, as, as they say, some of which were knocked down in, you know, by farmers in the right. past before people do, said... Do they go do, with metric over there? I, do, I don't know. I don't think so. I think you buy by gallons. All right, the, very good. Please in continue England, that. Just curious. And drive miles. All right. They're very backwards. They still want to be in the Middle Ages. You tell them that. It's fine. Um, and then, uh, but I do think they use metric, though. For like measurements and stuff, because I I I do remember like when David worked at Chapters in Langley, he would often put aside magazines that had because like, they would just have to tear the covers off for turns. Okay. And so they would just have like coverless magazines. So he sometimes give me the woodworking ones mm. to look at. So I had these European ones, and everything was all in millimeters. You know, which is fine because I like I yeah. I build and I like the centimeters when I'm doing woodwork because it makes it easier to do your. Uh, your division and stuff when you're trying to figure out how many shells to put in and stuff. You're not trying to figure out what the decimal of five sixteenths is. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, so the, 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 so there, there's a maze how, there's a standing stones, and then there's this new uh, settlement that they discovered underneath it all. So I imagine the farmer who owned the field is very happy that they're digging <laughs> up this, this field, and now his, now his field is useless. But I suppose it was useless anyway because the standing stones were there. And like I say, some of them, most of them are still standing, some were blown up with dynamite. Oof. By uh, farmers who wanted to use the land, of all things, to grow food, idiots. You know, it's hard. You know, the, if something is always there, you don't respect it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's only people who come from away who are going to be like, "Oh, this is amazing that you have like this early settlement here." You know, this is, so the farmer is like, "Yeah, it's in the effing way. How am I supposed to get my tractor around this field with these stones everywhere?" So yeah, it's a it's a constant battle, constant battle. They yell at the people. They go climb a tree. And I'm like, well, well, there's no trees around here. Yeah, get the message. Get out of here. Go climb a tree. <laughs> and imagine there's some big wind farms there as well mm. now because it's a very windy place. Oh, yeah, place. yeah, yeah. It's a very windy place. What are you going to do when you're there? What's your what's your plans? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know. You know, there's things to go to. The Earl's Palace and go visit St. Magnus Cathedral and okay. wander around Kirkwell. Try and, try and drive through the streets of Stromness and lose your mind because it's so tight. There's, the buildings have like chunks taken out of them so to allow for car traffic. Oh, Cause it's just so too tight. You can't like make a. You can't turn the corner. Wow. In a car, so it was fine in the days of you know people just walked or had wagons and stuff like that. But now, forget about it. So yeah, no, it, you know, it's mostly this is mostly. It's an acknowledgement. I mean, really, what it is about is that Lisa's aunts and uncles, who she's known for you know sixty years, are passing away. You know, right. so this is kind of like a a goodbye trip in a way. You know, how who knows when we'll get there again, and who knows will be there when we get there again you know so it could be like the last hurrah for us because to be honest 
if we travel internationally again, which we will, but when we do travel internationally, I should say, when we do travel internationally again, I would love to for us to go to um, Belgium. I'd like Lisa to go to the yeah. Tintin Museum because I would think she would enjoy it. Well, she at least I would want to enjoy it again, so she would also have to enjoy it. Right. <laughs> she get some French fries and some waffles. Yeah, we'll make a point of going to the cafe before it closes. Yeah, we and know you, the rules you, now. And then you find that uh, that person you were waiting for a bus with. And then go, they're still waiting for a bus. And like, ah, they're a ghost. They were a ghost. <laughs> that makes sense. This all makes sense. Oh, the person that yeah. I, yeah, 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 yeah. Not later. Um, so yeah, and I would, yeah. Just, so if we did that, we would obviously not be going back to England again any, anytime soon if we're making that big, big trek. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll see. This is your first uh, flight since? Uh... No, because we went to Belgium. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I went to that. <laughs> you were there? <laughs> yeah. You're just confused because we didn't fly together, so it feels like I didn't yeah, fly. Yeah, I think that's why. Dave, yeah. I'm sure Dave walked because I didn't see him on the plane. Yeah, he went, uh, <laughs> I'm a scared. I'm a scared to fly. And uh, yeah, I took a little uh, uh, cattle boat. I wasn't as, I wasn't as scared to fly. I was as scared because I didn't have my PR card. <laughs> I was as scared they weren't going to let me go home. Sorry, buddy. Got to get the CBSA here. But they did. And now you're a they world did. traveler again. Yes. Yes. So yeah, with really, a chain on your wallet. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this trip. I think yeah, no, I think it sounds fun. super fun. Yeah, I I miss England so bad, and it's ridiculous the amount of time it's been since. I, mm. Ridiculous. Uh, yeah, yeah. I ran into um, I ran into uh, Dylan Reimer the other day, and I mentioned that uh, you know I, I mentioned I bought a ticket to his show. He's going to Edinburgh. Yes. To do a, a one person uh, show at the French yeah. Festival there. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, and he was uh, doing doing the thing all comedians do. It's just like I don't know if I should be doing this. I don't know. I was just like, no, I think you should. But then again, you know, I'm the guy who rented like a theater in England, uh, <laughs> you know, for a month. He was like, oh my gosh, how'd that go? The show went great. I uh, just made up with uh, my friend uh, a month ago, and uh, we were, did it in 2008. Wow. So wow. you know th- that, you know. So there was a lot of pressure on you guys. Yeah. There was a lot of pressure. Yeah. 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 Those kind of things. The nice thing about like the Edinburgh Festival is uh, all the structures are in place and mm. people are like willing to sure you know, yeah uh, they they're willing to like sit and listen to something as long as you're not uh, a hacky American there the tolerance for that uh, seems to uh, be low and a lot of Americans uh, seem to, to to get very upset about that it's like I'm doing all my A stuff I'm like yeah it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of hacky it's yeah. kind of like shallow it's fine. Mm. You know, this is when they play. This is when they're at the Palladium. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, do you know like how you get into the Edinburgh Festival? Do you Edinburgh practice Fest- secret comedy timing? <laughs> um, Second rule to comedy: repetition. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah, secret of comedy is repetition. I didn't know that. Yeah, and the secret of comedy is repetition and the rule of threes. What is the rule of threes? Repetition, what, repetition, repetition. What I just did. <laughs> um, what? Also explaining the joke after it. Yeah. It's always a good idea. That's also really good. So what is, uh, do you know how to get, like, do you have to you do. You apply, yeah. You apply, you do an audition? Do you like send a, in like an audition tape or something No, I don't think, I don't think you do that. I think it's just like any fringe, fe- I think. Yeah. If it's like almost any fringe festival. Yeah. Uh, you apply and then there's kind of a lottery system. I think there, oh, okay. I think it, I think if you are like a big shot. You have uh, it's weighted some, in your favor. There are things that are weighted in your favor, but mm. like I think then it becomes lottery esque. Yeah, yeah, I believe. Yeah, but you know what? Maybe I don't know. Because really, my only like growing up, the only thing I knew about the Edinburgh Festival is like that the Footlights Club at Cambridge played would play there. They would go there and do 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 their review 
at the at the Edinburgh Festival. But I guess that was at a time when it was merely a local, I put that in quotation marks, like local to England or local to Great Britain show rather than having international people flying in from all over the place. Hey, here's, here's, uh, here's, uh, here's what's going on. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Fringe is an open, the Edinburgh one I'm talking about. Yes. Uh, the Fringe is an open arts uh, festival, which means anyone who has a story to tell and a venue to perform in can put on a show here. There's no centralized selection process, and the festival as a whole is not programmed or curated, uh, though individual venues choose which shows they want to program. Okay. Uh, yeah, the Edinburgh Festival does not produce or select any shows, does not invite anyone to perform, does not cover costs. They're here to provide you with the support, guidance, and resources necessary to tell your story. So you put some money together to go to a show and rent a theater, you got a show at the festival. So there you are. But the big, the big uh, venues or the or the popular venues uh, will pick the ones that they they want. But if you, you know, I guess if you ever bring your own venue or want to do it in someone's house, you can. Yeah. Mm. Do you know where? Um, do you know where Dylan's performing? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't. And did you say you bought a ticket for it? I bought a ticket for his Vancouver. Uh, uh, oh, tryout tri- kind of thing. Well, it's not even try. Yeah. He's doing the shows here, which, yeah. yes, you're right, in a way are kind of rehearsals for. Yeah. But I'm just going to consider that I'm going to see the show that sure. then later will be there. Yeah. yeah not that yeah. I'm going to a rehearsal. You're not, you're, he's not going to be looking at his phone and going, oh, what, now what, what was that idea, the next one? Let me look, look through my notes here. Yeah. And, uh, and it is uh, the, the, the place that he is performing at is down the street from me on this street. Don't say what street I live on. Okay. But uh, I guess you could look it up now that I'm, I'm saying that. Well, you don't know my, my house number. Wait, I said it was a house. Shit. <laughs> All right. Don't come see me. Uh, anyway, it's it's very, very walkable from here. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's performing in a venue that's both a theater and a tattoo parlor. I see. So if I like the show, I might get a tattoo of the show. Nice. Walk Dylan, Dylan's face? Yeah. On your arm? That was nice. Yeah. I like it. So he's a good comedian, so I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. I hope, though, yeah, he he does what you need to do. If you got an hour long show, mm. what do you do at the 40 minute mark, Dave? What do you do? Your Edinburgh French Festival. Oh, show. you've got to uh, bring up the fact that your parents didn't love you. It's close. Kill your father. Oh, kill your father. Yeah, that's that's where in the show you go. You know, uh, you're telling your story, and then just of course that was the year my dad died. <laughs> And that put everything into perspective. Okay. So you can tell all the corny jokes you want yeah. for, for forever. For 40 minutes. And then, and then, and then, <laughs> twas the war. And it's the moment where you've got to like take the twist. And yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, and then Get the, serious. Then the doctor came back with my results and I was missing an ear. Oh my gosh. And he went, that's why I'm only hearing half as well. And the doctor went, what? And the doctor was missing an ear as well. <laughs> And then we realized we all had folly off ear disease. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, uh, Epidemic. Yeah. So you need to put a little heart into your show. Mm. Uh, just j- jam it in there sure. and uh, structure, it, structure it in, whether it's legit or not. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm curious what Dylan... I, I mean, it's been a while since I saw Dylan perform. I used to watch him at the Prop House in the good old days of the Prop House. Yes. Uh, and that's where I was sort of joking about the, the note thing, because it was quite often... People would treat it, even though they had an audience there of pe- paying paying viewers, yeah. they would often treat it as like a, a workout place, a place to try out their material. Right. And so they would have their phone open on a stool near them, and then they would go over and 
and look at it every once in a while instead yeah. of just like doing a show for you they go over and look at it and go let's see what pancakes talk about that? pancakes, pancakes. So that's a good thing you ever notice with pancakes yeah and then they're just like god yeah. hack yeah if uh, if waffles evolve from pancakes how come there are still pancakes yeah there we go <laughs> that's a, actually a joke of mine that uh will be uh, you'll be seeing in cartoon form fairly soon uh, but not before this airs. It'll be already out there, so it's ah, okay. Yeah. Okay, it's good. It's, yeah, it's good. You won't break. You won't. Re- it's not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler. And that's good. That's good of you not to spoil stuff for people. Oh, it's still fun, by the way. What? Uh, seeing the responses to the Washington Post cartoons that me and Pete are doing. Okay. Because people, some people uh, re- really like them. They're getting it's been it? very, very, yeah. It's been very positive lately. Good. But then there's uh, always like about. 10% sure. that are like, what's this doing here? <laughs> and I'm saying it in a dumb voice, but they could be smart. Yeah. Excuse me. Why, why is this here? Yeah. They could be saying it like that. Sure, sure. And then another person's going, it's funny. It's fine. But it doesn't belong here. It should be an editorial cartoon. And other people are going, uh, I don't get what this is making fun of politically. It's like nothing. <laughs> it's just two snakes having a conversation. And yeah. something goofy is happening. It's. Yeah. It's so a, It's a little, uh, it's, a, it's just something, it's a relief from the news. Yeah, I think it may it may need something like in the uh, where it is, like to, to say like opinion. And Pia had an idea of like then also having observations instead. And so it's like oh, it's a little different or something. Just something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But most people understand it because it's a joke. Yeah, uh, and they'll get like oh, it's a joke. Yeah, that's fine. There's a joke here. Uh, but other people, it's just uh, structurally where it is makes them so mad. <laughs> Oh, so mad. Well, this hope they don't win. Yeah, I, I hope that. You never know. Nothing's forever. Nothing. We'll try our we'll try our best. Keep making gags for as long as we can. <laughs> I think Pia's doing an amazing job on the art. It's yeah. really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And it has to be color, right? Yep. Hmm. Didn't know that when we signed on, but uh Is it, it is. color when it's printed? This is a good question. I don't uh I don't know. Okay. Sorry I asked then. Oh yeah. Mind your business. We should, <laughs> we should Mind your we goddamn should, business. We should plan these shows better. It's not like in the province. It's not color, is it, for the comics? Or is it, it? it is. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, they've for ruined a while it. it. They've was, ruined it. It was for a while. It was color on the web pages and not color in the yeah thing. And I that's love- always weird to me because like they get the colors wrong. Like so not not with the province on this one, but like yeah. Room Hilda is like she's the wrong color. <laughs> yes, yes, they, they don't know what they're doing, and it's I don't know. To me, it's just ugly. Like I loved the. Just the plain black and white look of the art. Like, it's just so pleasing to turn to that. It's a sort of empty space of, you know, put together lines, but, you know, there's lots of, like, mm-hmm. openness to it because it's not just, like, dense blocks of words. And now you turn to the page and it's just this block of color and everyone does it differently. And, it, you know, and, and ah, it's just... Yeah, it's, it's me, not it's not controlled by the artist. Yeah, and the, I mean, in our case, it is controlled by the artist. So she's doing yeah, yeah. what what her her version of of this kind of thing and that makes yeah. more sense. But it's controlled by her up to a point, and then it just it goes out of her hands as mm. it goes onto the page. That's newsprint, and what are you going to do? Yeah. yeah, and then yeah, I just uh, but you know I'm fine with like Sunday funnies being colored. Sure, like I think those were designed. They were made to be. Yeah, they're color, made to yeah. be color. Yeah, and I think the artist think of them as color but the putting panels in color it's just so pointless because hardly any of the jokes have any they're, they're very they're not they're not really playing with the form or anything so you're not getting like jokes about the fact that now the paper's in color or whatever mm-hmm. it's just colored yeah often not by the artist just done by 
some sort of coloring mill somewhere, you know. Uh, I, I know people who have worked on coloring black and white comics like Scott Pilgrim and Bone. Yeah. Especially I know the person who did uh, the Scott Pilgrim colors. Sure. Um, and I like them and they're good people, but no. <laughs> like read, reading the reading the original stories, yeah. and they were designed to be in black and white and uh, they just really pop as that. Mm. And then when you add color to them, I understand why. Because you're not going to be able to resell them. And there's some people who won't read black and white. I understand that. You're opening up the market and it's done very well, especially well for with Bone. Bone. Because, yeah, for kids, is why they why they put out of color. Absolutely. Too. But uh, I, I, whenever I look at it, I'm like, oh, that's not as good. <laughs> that's not as good. Yeah. There's also, there's also like a humble uh, thing to the black and white where you just go like, ah, good. And I'm rooting for you. Mm. And it just looks uh, so slick and professional the other way. Yeah, and, and I feel I, it's, I've been. Uh, I was telling you I saw um, a documentary called Dave Stevens, mm, yes, uh, drawn to perfection about wonderful artist about the artist on, and writer on the Rocketeer, and uh, they show a lot of his original art for the Rocketeer, wow. and I'm just used to seeing it in color, mm. and when you see the original art, it's just like it's better than the color. <laughs> yes, the color's fine, but like, yeah. oh man, it's pretty. It's funny, like, like um, with Nexus. Like the reason I started reading the comic book Nexus, Steve Rude and Steve uh, Rude and Mike Barron, yeah, Mike Barron was the, was the writer and Steve Rude was the artist, and I fell in love with Steve Rude's art. Not reading the comic book, I I got like a I picked up just for free from somewhere a sampler. Uh, it was like the first six or whatever. It was like a, a first a first um, comic sampler of their of their first six books that they put out. Mm-hmm. And so it had American Flag, it had Grimjack, I guess, and and a couple other things. But then it had uh, Nexus and it had Steve Rude's art in black and white and it looks so amazing in black and white this looks um, it's awesome right like this, yeah. this wonderful art and so I started reading the comic which was not quite as good because it was color you know the, the first few issues were black and white but then the problem is that he's just sort of learning his craft then he's not right. not where he was when I was started reading it um, you know and it, it's it's just so you know that's what I always uh, just, I love uh, like I love buying the Warren uh, Warren magazine oh, yes, uh, yeah. spirits because they were black and white. Yeah. My problem with the DC reprints is they've added color to them, which I know they were color in, when they were printed and stuff. Right, because they were they were originally inserts in the Sunday Funnies. As yeah. You're saying. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Thinking you had the Sunday Funnies and in the center of the Sunday Funnies, you'd have an eight-page spirit story. Well, I think it was a replacement for the Sunday Funnies, though. Oh, is that correct? So in lieu of the Sunday Funnies. Oh, I thought it was insert, Sunday Funnies, and then in the middle there. I that. don't think so. I think it was sold as like a alternative to that. Hmm. So rather than paying, you know, whoever, Universal Syndicate or whatever they're called, uh, for their package of Sunday Funnies, you would buy them from from Eisner ah. as a package. Okay. And I guess it was sold with the idea that this is the the uh, peak of comic book sales, and so you're kind of you're kind of getting into that market a little bit of that interest group who right. you could attract them to, to reading your newspaper. Those of you out there that know. Which is which, like if this is true or not? Yeah, uh, let us know. I'd like, yeah, I'd us, know. us to the giant. But I'm pretty sure that yeah, it was done as an alternative kind of syndicate situation, mm. and because it wasn't just the spirit, it was like you know had Lady Domino, whatever her name was, and other characters that were that were in there as well. Oh, interesting. So okay. it wasn't just the spirit; it was like a series of different stories drawn by the stable of artists that that Eisner had working for him, ah. like Lou Fine and 
whoever. I always thought it was just an eight-page spirit story that'd be uh, in uh, in the in the comics, but uh, that's no, no, neat no. To know. Yeah, it was just like its own sort of thing, like wow. it was its own package that you bought and and was you you it was delivered to you, and you just. I seem to remember that uh, Phantom Lady was. Uh, in, in some in some like covers or it feels like I'm, I'm mixing things up here it could be like i always think like you know uh plastic man i always think like phantom lady i always not, think Spirit. not in uh, not in with not with eisner though okay all right but um yeah it's it is interesting because you know like when i even even when i was a kid when i delivered comics we would stuff the papers before we went out to deliver them so you had like you had a, you know, in the days when there was the Sunday Funnies mm-hmm. and there was also like an insert magazine, you know, a sort of like a, a, a weekend magazine kind of thing that would be sort of like a McLean's or whatever, but in the paper. Yeah. You know, you'd have to like stand there. And if you had like 40 customers, you'd stuff 40 papers with each of these things. And then you'd put them into your bike rack and then take off and go deliver these enormously heavy papers. Here's why I'm thinking this. Okay. I believe because I think there was a knockoff. Uh, I think there was a knockoff character uh, like Midnight, mm. uh, who was basically the spirit, but wasn't the spirit. Okay, <laughs> uh, that was uh, in comics that Phantom Lady was in, and, oh, okay. uh, and uh, Plastic Man was in. To the point where years, 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 years later, uh, someone wrote in recently that my uh, had a letter in All Star uh, Squadron. Yeah, um, Midnight was a member of the All Star Squadron. Okay. And he's no messing around. He's the spirit. Mm. Like it looks exactly like the spirit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. This is the in the days when you're trying to rival TM Maple. Yep, which uh, stood the, for the Mad Maple. That's right. A ubiquitous presence on the letters page of uh, Marvel Comics. Anyway, was he also in DC Comics? Oh yeah. Yeah, just covered covered yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Midnight. Sorry, I'm looking about this. Okay. Uh, is a fictional character owned by DC Comics, a mass detective. Created by uh, Jack Cole. Okay. Yeah, for quality comics. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, okay. All right. Spirit knockoff. Was yeah. He, was he thought to have been dead and but not really dead? Here is a very short publication history. Okay. Writer with uh, writer artist Will Eisner retaining the rights to the mass detective character The Spirit. Yeah. Quality comics publisher Busy Arnold, who published <laughs> the comic book version of this newspaper character. Yeah. Okay. Quality comics was. Uh, Phantom Lady. Okay. And uh, and uh, Plastic Man. I see. Okay. Uh, desired a... Okay. Who published the comic book version of this newspaper character. Desired a hedge in case Eisner were killed or incapacitated <laughs> uh, incapacitated during World War II. Okay. Uh, so uh, he directed Jack Cole to create a similar character, mm. identical character, yeah. which became Midnight. Midnight debuted in Smash Comics in 1941. Uh, the character became popular enough to become a cover feature, uh, a position he would hold for eight years until the title's cancellation. So he was created in case Will Eisner died, and they would have huh. the same character. Well, I was going to say, I was first. I was going to say, well, the jokes on them because Will Eisner actually didn't serve overseas. He he edited a magazine, I think called PS or something like that, which is like a a magazine for mechanics. And, and I think I have one. Like very the collection, of, a yeah. collection of it, not a collection. Oh, I've got yeah. some of the, a couple oh. of the originals. Oh wow, cool. Uh, and and double jokes on them. He lived. He did live. But then I was kind of thinking. Well, actually, mo- most of the casualties for the American Army in World War II were in were during training to go acro- overseas. Like many of them died in their in their training. More people died. I think more people died training to go fight in the war than than di- were casualties in Yikes. in the European theater. Now. 
that is something that I remember hearing someone say, whether that is true or not. I'm sorry, I'm repeating this. This is anecdotal information I'm giving. I am not saying this is a statement of absolute truth, but I heard someone say it one time on a bus. They weren't talking to me. They were talking to someone else. Uh, they were actually complaining about the price of donuts. <laughs> and they brought this up. I don't know why. It was a bit of an aside. It was a bit of an aside. There's a hole in this one. I'm still paying for it. You can get a discount. Yeah, you can get a jelly donut. Yeah. But it's not all donut. Part. It's got jam in it. That's right. That's not donut. But still, at least you're paying for something. Where you're paying for nothing with the other one. Big ripoff. Anyway, yeah, no, I just, uh, I heard, I, I read, heard it or read it somewhere that uh, more more Americans died like in accidents during training to go to war. Okay. Which I, I take as possible because I related it before, but I'll say it one more time. When my dad went through basic training, someone dropped the grenade before it was thrown. It was, pin was pulled. Ugh. It was ready to, to explode. And the person dropped it in the cement uh, box that everyone was standing in where you're supposed to throw the grenade out of it. And they were in this like, and everyone froze with absolute panic. And then the drill sergeant picked it up and threw it out of the, but there's an example of where, you know, 10 people could have died. Yeah. From uh, shrapnel injuries. From Instead, a uh, he threw it into the, the, the area with like 20 people. He threw it where the women were, sh- were sh- showering. Right. And then it was a sexy romp. It was a sexy romp because until you know the grenade what? went off. The head, the head nurse was real stuck up. <laughs> and that made it okay. It's true. Different time. <laughs> it's okay to blow her up. Yeah. You know what? I, was, I, I watched a movie the it other just day. just blew up her pants. You talking about Robert Altman makes me think I watched... Was uh, I talking about Robert Altman? What are you talking about, MASH? Okay. Fair enough. Because that's that's the head nurse who's okay, who's amazing. Uh, no, I get where you're going. Like, okay. <laughs> There's no other. But anyway, so speaking of Elliot Gould, all right, I guess technically. Well, yeah, you are. I actually, I was going to bring up Elliot Gould. I watched this movie called California Split, which is a 1974 Robert Altman film. Oh, all right. I've tried to watch it twice before, and for whatever reason, I kind of went, eh, well, I don't know, and I stopped because I had it on my PVR, and I just. I guess I was like, I don't feel like watching this. Maybe I'll watch The Fast and the Furious. I don't know what I was watching instead. But anyway, I watched I watched um, this movie, California Split. And it's really, really good. Well, tell me more. It is so good. It's about two guys. They don't know each other, but they run into each other at a kind of a low-level gambling place in, in, Las, in Las, not Vegas, Las Vegas, Los Angeles. And, you know, they have like... They've got poker tables set up. And so people, there's lots of people think playing poker. They have like a board where people are betting on games or races or whatever. I don't know, like horse races or whatever. And uh, George Segal is in it. All right. And Elliot nice. Gould. Two oh, really good actors. Really good actors. Yeah. Who can do both comedy and drama. Yeah. And and what's, you know, it's a it's Robert Altman, 1974. So you're getting like the full on everyone's, everyone talking at the same time. Yeah. Like, you know, the whole room is mic'd and he and the sound mixer are like, Bring up this conversation. Bring up this conversation. Let's have this uh, doc. This little like kind of like where are you kind of uh, like little film that Ellie Gould starts playing on this TV set. Still playing when he's wandered away from it. <laughs> Still audible talking about this place and da da da. Um, yeah, and uh, he and he and Siegel they end up in the same poker game together. And Siegel throws him the throws him like deals a card, but kind of over like really throws it too hard and it bounces off the table but Gould snatches it in midair and puts it back into his deck oh but there's another kind of bully guy at the table and he's really angry about this because to him the card fell on the floor and once a card falls on the floor it's a dead card well i thought you said he snatched it he in did midair. he did so but this guy's insisting this guy's insisting that it fell on the floor 
And okay. it's like, you saw it, right? You saw it fall on the floor. And the, most of the people are just like, I don't know. I wasn't looking. I don't know what happened, you know. And there's another lady there. I don't care. Why are we taking so long playing this game? And <laughs> so it's, you know, all these converse, conversations like this. Because these are all kind of very low-level gamblers, sure. you know. There's, they're not high rollers. They're just like... That sounds pretty good that Elliot Gould grabbed the card. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. It's a good stunt. It's a real good snatch. Yeah. Uh, who knows? You know, they might have been by that point batch. Batch, uh, you know, doing a batch thing where they're just like, you know, California split scene... Scene seven takes thirty to sixty. Click, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, he catches it, and then, and so then Siegel's like, he goes, I did kind of overthrow it, but he didn't catch it because the uh, like some floor floor manager comes over to see what the the fuss is about, and they kind of they kind of settle it. Yeah. And then Gould wins the the hand because what he caught was a joker, so it's a wild card, so it's very handy. And this the guy, other guy is so angry and stuff like that. And but all this conversations are going on all the time when this is going on, right? It's like everything. And the problem nowadays, everyone, is if you don't have surround sound on your television, you're fucked. <laughs> because all of the movies that you're watching on TV are all mixed for surround sound. So they're they're the folk, they're like the dialogue in them is hard to hear sometimes because it's mashing together all these different tracks. Mashing, I get it. Yes, there you go. It's mashing together all these different tracks, but it's not. Like if you watched it in a in in a mix that was for like two speakers, like an like an old movie for television, they would like put the 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 um, dialogue you know center like front and center because that's the most important part. But because you're getting this this kind of weird like um, you know seven whatever it is for things now let's say a seven speaker mix, yeah, squished down to two speakers, it doesn't differentiate between the dialogue. The cars right. running, the music playing, and stuff like that. So it gets hard to hear the dialogue. And so in this movie, with with Robert Altman, like you know, mixing away with the, his magic of stuff, like when it was, you know, if I watched it with surround sound, it would have been great. The problem is watching it just with my two speaker TV speakers. It's I had to like I had to turn way up, you know, and I was just like worried because Lisa was sleeping, but I kept having to turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, try, try and hear things. And there was one actress who like played this kind of like a baby baby girl kind of a character, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't know what we can do. My voice is very quiet. Dave, keep turning the TV up so you can hear me, Dave. Yeah, and so, you know, it's just like, oh, this is really impossible. But yeah, it was a really, really good movie, though. And cool. it's interesting because I was expecting it. It's a 70s movie. And I know 70s movies. I'm no dummy. I know it's a downer decade. Sure. I know nothing could end happily. Right. But I'm going to kind of spoil the film, everyone. I'm sorry I'm spoiling a movie from 60 years ago. But um, we got to do our traditional thing, though. We're not going to spoil this we're movie. We're not going to spoil this movie. All right, now, Dave, what happens? So in the film, like, you get a lot of, you, you know, you kind of, you, you get, you learn the characters. Like, Elliot Gould's character, he is just a rounder. Like, he is just, like, a born gambler. He doesn't care what he have to do to get money. He talks about, like, doing this job that was basically just, like, you know, conning people on the phone. But he doesn't care. He just needs the money so he can take it to the track. And then right. he's going to make all the money in the world and he's going to live great, right? Sure. And Siegel is like this guy who has a job for a magazine, uh, but he is like sinking under debt because mm. of his gambling debts and stuff like that. He owes money to this guy, he owes money to that guy. This guy wants some money from him. And you get some great scenes of this. So it's, it's in all the acting's the stellar. And then finally, Siegel decides he's going to go to Reno. He's going to enter into this poker ch- championship that's there. It's a $2,000 buy-in and he's going to win. Okay. And Google's like, all right, I'm your partner. I'm in. Like, I'll, you know, I'll help you get the money together. So Siegel, like, sells everything he owns, sells his car, sells everything. And then and he he makes, like, $1,800. This is 70s, by the way. Okay. Yeah. And then... So uh, that's a four. Yes. And then Google throws in the rest. He throws in $1,100. So they have a, they have a 
like kitty. Yeah. So they got two thousand dollar buy in and a nine hundred dollar cushion. Yeah. They're the richest people in America. <laughs> well, not when they get to this thing and they see when they see Slim peel off his giant bankroll of notes at one point. Then then they know they're small fish. But the thing is, this is the end of the movie. Siegel doesn't lose the money. He hits the biggest winning streak of his life. He makes eighteen thousand dollars at the poker table. Takes comes away from that. He decides, you know what? I'm gonna do some blackjack. And the thing is, he won't let Gould near him because every time Gould's around, he'll lose. Right. And so Gould's like, okay, I'll I'll be away. I'll be over here. So he's over there, and he won't give him any money either. He won't give him any money from this this thing. So he's like trying to use a Snickers bar to try to like, you know, like I'll just use a Snickers bar, and if I win, then you can give me some money. To, you know. Yeah. Uh, and of course, no one's going for that. And then, uh, but he's off just mumbling away. You can always hear him talking at some point because of the the multi, you know, things everything. And then uh, Siegel like kills at blackjack. Oof. Then he goes over to the roulette oh, wheel. No. Kills there. Kills there. Then he goes. Walk to the, away. Then he goes to the craps table. No. Kills there. Oh no. He's winning. He's won eighty-two thousand dollars. No. And then he just stops. He drops the dice. He just walks away. And he goes to this other room and he's just like sitting, bent over at this table. And Google, of course, is like, well, we got to get these chips. So he's like collecting all the chips and stuff yeah, like yeah, that yeah. and getting it together. And he's really excited because we find $82,000. And he goes in and, and Siegel's like just sitting there. And it's pretty much the last, it does go a little bit farther, but it's pretty much the last line in the movie is uh, Google kind of finally, oh, despite his elation, he finally he realizes, oh, my friend is really upset. Like, what's going on? And he's like, what's going on? He goes, it doesn't mean anything. And that's the end of the movie. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It's such a great movie. It's so powerful, you know? And it's so people-filled, too. Like, it's just full of people that, that feel like they're there. They're part of that world. That they just were like, they're not extras. They were actually like people there that night when they filmed in that place. There's a, when they're in Reno, there's this woman who's, you know, not a good-looking woman. But she's got a great voice, and she's playing the piano, and she's singing away. And there's no music in the film as well. Like, all, this, all the music is incidental. And so, like, during the Reno sequence, it's her playing the piano that fills the, the soundtrack with music. Do you remember what it's called when there's music in a movie? But it's music that would be in the reality yes. of the movie. It begins with the letter D, I think. Dia. I, can't, I know what you mean, but I can't yeah. remember what it is. Yeah, there is. A, yeah, look it up. Because there's another, because uh, uh, Ullman does that in The Long Goodbye, another great film with, with Elliot Gould, where the song The Long Goodbye, you know, It's a long goodbye, it happens every day, plays everywhere. So he's, when he's in the supermarket, it's playing The Long Goodbye as Muzak. When he's in a pian- when he's in a bar, there's a piano player singing the long goodbye. When he's right. in his car, it's playing on the radio. Like it's oh, diatonic. Is that what it is? No, no, it's not diatonic. Uh, very close. Uh, diegetic. Di- diegetic. Diegetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so instead, I've I've got like all these things about music, uh, about the environment, and saving okay. the environment. Okay. Oh, saving the environment. <laughs> yeah. So di- diegetic. Yeah. So yeah. But. Um, yeah, it's a yeah, really it's a really good movie. I'm sorry I kind of spoiled it. If you if you watch it, it's well worth watching just for the, all the the people and stuff in it. I I kind of left out like the Ellie Gould's living like this just uh, in a non-sexual way with these two women. Just he just showed up one day and this is staying at their apartment. Just lives in like on the patio. Uh, that's just where his bedroom is, and and these two women just have their own lives. And uh, and Seagal kind of joins in, and they become like this little kind of team of team of buddies and stuff and. Oh, it's so good, though. It's so good. And the ending of it is just like, boom, like, so great. I'm glad I finally watched it. I, I kind of put off. I think I was kind of, over, I was kind of out Altman for a while. 
and I was kind of didn't want to watch any more Robert Altman films. But I really want to see Three Women, so I'm hoping that's going to show up. I'd like to see some Altman, but I'd really like to see it in the theater. Like I, I think uh, that'd be the best place yeah. to see it. Yeah, to be honest with you. Yeah, with the good with the good sound, as mm-hmm. you say, and just like get that. Yeah, nice. Can I just write to uh, the Rio? Rio, yeah, because they're that... and go first of all. Uh, no, I won't say that. Uh, that's, that's private business. Uh, but then, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I should write about the movies and say get that get those movies because uh, the programmer is a friend of Dylan's actually. Oh, they do that that podcast together, the Black Dog After Hours. Oh, podcast. Does that still exist? The uh, podcast. Yes, it does. It does. The store does not no longer exist, but the friendship does. So that's okay. good. So yeah, I can't remember the guy's name though, but. Um, he does the programming there. So, so yeah. when I'm seeing Dylan's play, uh, probably around now, yeah, uh, uh, I should yell out, "Hey, you should play more. Tell your friend, to play more Altman." Yeah, get some. Gotta do an Altman. Do for Dave's sake. Do three women and uh, Popeye. Do Popeye. No, not Popeye. Which is a fine film, but it's Just, a bit of a kashmazzle. It's one of those like two. That sounds like something they'd say in Popeye. It does. It's two thirds of a good film. Yeah, wait a second. It, yeah, the professor is OG what a schnozzle. <laughs> was that where you were going for? No, it was not. Oh, okay, that's quite kush- the coincidence. I said kashmozzle, but yeah. All right. Very close. Yeah, it was very close. But yeah, that, that, I mean, I don't hate that movie, but I would rather watch like, you know, Thieves Like Us. or yeah. It's not a bad movie to uh, to end 20 minutes early. Like yeah. Popeye, and then you just yeah. go, we're sorry, the film broke, and then you leave, and you go, like, that was a really good movie. Yeah, a lot of fun. Like, yeah. they, they really built a great little town there. Yeah, it feels really, like, authentic to E.C. Seeker, you know? Yeah. Because they're not, like, it's what's fun about it is it's not based in the cartoons. It's based in, like, like a like a, a memory of E.C. Seeker as through Jules Pfeiffer, you know? Yeah. Like, you had a movie written by Jules Pfeiffer. Like, how could that go wrong? Well, the answer is... I guess it couldn't have. Cocaine. And it didn't. Uh, because, we, because the movie ended <laughs> 20 minutes early. And you got music go from someone's nose. You got music from Harry Nielsen. Yeah. There's a great little... Bill Irwin's in it. That's right. Yeah. There's a great little thing you can find on YouTube. Uh, I'll see if I can find it. Uh, it's um, Harry Nielsen coaching Shelley Duvall through her singing part of He mm. Wants Me. She's large. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. What she did, strangely enough, she did After the Shining. Good. Yeah. Good. I hope it was a better experience for her. It's funny. I was reading an interview with her where she was talking about that she has like no hard feelings about doing The Shining. It's interesting. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's, I don't know if she's reconciled herself to it or whatever, but she said, she says, no, it was a really good experience for me. I learned a lot doing that movie. She says, and we were friends for a long time after Stanley and I, so she loved playing chess with him. I can tell you a movie that she loved doing. Mm. Uh, what movie do you think I'm going to say? Was that going to be the uh, oh, uh, Roxanne? That's it, yeah. <laughs> Love doing Roxanne. Oh, and sure the, and the town of Nelson, B.C. Yeah, just yeah. fell in love with her, too. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is perfect. Oh, I always think of that place as like mm. uh, a bit of a brigadoon. And just like, <laughs> I know Shelly Shelley was having like a hard time uh, for a while there. And yeah. uh, I just want to just like, take her to Nelson. Mm-hmm. She's going to be fine. She seems to be, it seems to be better now. Yeah. At least she's got some help anyway. That's yeah. important. Yeah. Keep the Dr. Yeah. Phil's away. Keep the <laughs> Basically, anyone Oprah recommends that has the word doctor yes. in their name should have doctor in heavy quotes. <laughs> yes. For Dr. Reed, exploiter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, 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 you don't need that. That's not the help you need. Mm-mm. But uh, so uh, completely... that's why I want to see Three Women, because that was, uh, I, don't, I think she's in, I think she's in Rooster Cogburn, the movie he did after MASH, the big... Uh, which is it's a fun movie, but it was a big financial. But mm. um, it would be interesting to see. It would be interesting to see. Uh, I'd like to see three women because I haven't seen that one. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, let's see. Three. So you say three women. You say. I think that's what it's uh, called. Three women, 1977. That's yeah. right. 
Uh, yeah. But what's her first? first what's film? her first movie? Yeah. Brewster McCloud. Brewster, that's what I meant. I said, I said Brewster Cogburn, and I, that's a John Wayne film. I meant Brewster McCloud. I went Brewster McCloud, uh, McCabe, and Mrs. Miller. Oh, she's in McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Yeah, well. then Thieves Like Us. Yeah, she's good then in that movie. Nashville. So good in that movie, too. Buffalo Bill and the Indians, or Sitting Bull's History Lesson. Okay. Three Women, and then... Uh, the Wedding? What's that? The Wedding? No, no, it's a movie that won the Academy Award for Best Picture that year. It's a Robert Altman film? No, it's not a Robert Altman. Oh, no, oh Annie no. Hall, I guess. That's she did. correct. a bit part in Annie Hall. Then it was The Shining. Okay. Then it was Popeye. Yeah. And then, oh, I forgot about this one. Uh, um, Gilliam. Gilliam film. Oh. Yeah. What Gilliam film was she in? Was she in Time Bandits? Yep. What did she, she do in Time Bandits? Pansy. She played a character called Pansy. Okay. I don't Time remember Bandits. that. Then Frank and Weenie. Okay. Uh, Booker. Roxanne. Yeah. Suburban Commando. That's probably not right. <laughs> uh, the Underneath Portrait of a Lady. And then we're just getting into a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. There. Yeah. Uh, I think she's doing a lot of stuff just to fund yeah. her fairy tales theater. Then we're getting into Casper meets Wendy. Which, yeah. <laughs> that film was so. Oh, that's from that's a Shining take. That's a Shining uh, sequel. Casper meets Wendy. Yeah, that's her character. She's Wendy Torrance. Yeah, that's uh, that's what it is. Yeah. It's a film that was so bad <laughs> yes. that the next film in the series was written by me. <laughs> I'm sure they that's went. Not true. Fuck it. We don't care. <laughs> I was. I thought. Yeah, I thought uh, when you were saying that. That uh, they did a Shining parody in the middle of the Casper thing. Oh, no, no. As they did... What what movie parody did they do in the first Casper movie? I don't know. I've never seen the Ghostbusters. Oh, okay. Dan oh, Aykroyd uh, shows up as, as... Yeah, his Ghostbuster character. Okay. Oh, what the hell is his name? There's Peter Benkman. There's Egon Spengler. There's Winston Zedmore. And Ray Stance. He <laughs> plays Ray Stance. <laughs> nice. I couldn't have helped you. Uh, but he has a mustache, which is, makes it disturbing. Mm. And so he goes into the the haunted house where the three, uh, the ghostly trio are. Yeah. And he comes running out and goes, uh, who are you going to call? Someone else. And then he <laughs> takes off. And he says yeah. that to Eric Idle. Oh, interesting. Because Eric Idle is, uh, the main villain in that. Okay. Do you know what, do you know what, uh, film? I don't know if we discussed, well, I guess we have discussed it on the show. We discussed it on the last episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, the episode before last, the last show we recorded. Anyway, um, we, we, uh, he did a cameo in the uh, Indiana Jones movie. Uh, Eric Idle? No, P- uh, Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. Because he loved Raiders of the Lost Ark so much, he asked if he could be in the next movie. And so it's just his voice you hear because the shot's from a distance. But yeah, he's in Temple of Doom in this part where they're trying to escape from the, uh, the airfield. Okay, how about this? Okay. Um, <laughs> I know we were trying to one-up each other. Sure. But okay. what, I didn't know this okay. uh, until recently. Uh, what comic book artist yeah. that you like okay. did storyboards for Raiders of the Lost Ark? Which comic book artist that I like that you like? I'm going to give Alex you Alex Toth. I'm gonna, nope. I'm going to give you an even uh, easier clue uh, okay. very shortly, unless you want to take another guess. Storyboards comic book artist I like Will Eisner. Nope. <laughs> Though you were uh, singing their praises to me earlier today. I was. Yes, you were. Oh, Steve Rude. No. Oh shoot. <laughs> You're in the right ballpark, though. Uh, give me another clue. Okay. Uh, the um, uh, Their comic got made into a film uh, taking place in about the same era. Oh, so Dan Stevens. That's right. Dan Stevens, really? Yeah. Dan oh, sorry, Steve- Dave Stevens. Dave Stevens. Dave Stevens. Dan Di- Stevens is the British actor who was in Downton Abbey. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he did uh, storyboards for uh, The Rocketeer. Not Rocketeer. He did storyboards so, less, for uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's yeah. interesting because he's such a perfectionist it's hard to imagine him doing something that would require so much but maybe that was good for him that he had like this kind of like deadline that 
you know, is this not just good, it's good enough, which is a good mantra for perfectionists. I know that by for a fact. Here we go, another one. Okay. Uh, his first professional, we're going to do uh, Dave Stevens Dave trivia. Dave Stevens now. trivia, okay. Yeah. Uh, his it's first professional very, comic uh, work, yeah. uh, not comic book work, okay. but comic work, okay. was inking Russ Manning's pencils for what newspaper? Tarzan, I guess. Yeah, there you go. I remember when Russ Manning did Tarzan. That was the best Tarzan, in my opinion. He also did storyboards, 1977, okay. for what cartoons? 1977. For what cartoons? What cartoons in 1977? Are these for like Saturday morning Hanna cartoons? Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Saturday morning cartoons. That's right. 77, Dave Stevens was doing them for, was it like Star Trek or something like that? Was it not Star Trek? Planet nope. of the Apes? Nope, not Planet of the Apes. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Uh, Super Friends? Oh, that makes sense. And, I would think of Alex Toth doing those. That's yeah. interesting. And Godzilla. Oh. And there he worked with uh, Doug uh, Wildey. Doug Wildey, yeah. Yeah, who was the creator uh, or did uh, designs for... Johnny Quest. Absolutely. Now, here's one more. Yeah. Nice bit of trivia. Uh, Isn't this impressive you know, knowledge that we have that's so useless? Yeah, well, that's the point of the podcast, bro. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, we'd be writing encyclopedias and be out of business. <laughs> Dave used to be in the encyclopedia business. I did, did you know that? Uh, very tangential, but yes. Yeah. yeah. Here I we go. In, I was in outside sales. Uh, he also yeah. did storyboards for uh, a music video. Hmm. Michael Jackson, Captain EO. You're right about Michael Jackson. Oh, okay. So maybe Thriller then. That's correct. Oh, wow. Where did you get that? I just, I don't know. I just thought. That's a big pull. Wow. Well, it's because it's the most elaborate. Those are like the most okay. elaborate Yes, he did, the, uh, he did storyboards for Thriller. Okay. I'm sure he wasn't the only one, but yeah. Yeah, interesting. That's, I, you know, I just have trouble reconciling my, my idea of who Dave Stevens was as an artist with him being a storyboard artist. Just because I think of that as not like it's a hack job, but just that it's a job that you need to like do a lot of drawings really fast yeah you know? well you gotta pay you gotta pay the bills on the way to you yeah. know doing your dream project <laughs> yeah 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 and uh, that's one of those things yeah. sure sure there was a uh i remember like neil adams uh i knew this before the movie but it also talks about it in the movie okay uh neil adams uh looked at uh, dave stevens's work and was like oh yeah no you're ready i'll send your name into it was either marvel or dc I yeah forget which one it was yeah i think it was marvel and uh and so dave stevens oh i'm ready and send his stuff into uh, to them, and yeah. they went. Uh, You're not ready. That was the end of that. <laughs> He's going to be an inker. He's like, you can be an inker. Okay. Like, okay. And so he'd be uh, like an L. Williams, you know, like mm-hmm. someone who's way more qualified to, to be drawing than anyone he was inking. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, think about Marvel. And by and the way, I'll like tell that. you. Oh. I can't on the air, but ask me to tell you an Al Williams thing okay. after we're done. Okay. Okay. I was just going to say, like, I feel, I feel like. When Marvel's looking at someone like Dave Stevens, they're not looking at him as an artist. They're looking at him as a fit to Marvel. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're not looking at it, like he's a really good artist. He's a really great artist. But is he a great Marvel artist? Well, that's a different thing, right? Like to me, I don't know what year this was that that was occurring. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the seventies. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh sorry. He also uh, he also was all right. One more. Okay. Uh, he also assisted Manning and uh, on. Uh, a newspaper strip based on a very popular movie. What was that? A newspaper strip based on a very popular movie. I guess I'm gonna have to keep with the Tarzan thing and say Planet of the Apes. I'm gonna have to say no and say Star Wars. Oh, oh! I didn't realize Russ Manning did Star Wars. I always think of those L. Williams things. Yep. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting is what I say. So, because I remember Russ Manning did leave Tarzan, and I can't remember who took it over. Was it Bern Hogarth who started working on it then? I'm not sure. Someone else took over that wasn't as as 
appealing an artist to me. Okay. I've never been at, like, you know, Bern Hogarth, right? Yep. Very opinionated, kind of popular at the Comics Journal, just because he was a firebrand and had a lot of things to say. Am I thinking of the same person who did the anatomy books? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dynamic. Uh, yes. Dynamic folds. Anatomy. Yeah. Dynamic clothing folds. Yeah. Yeah. The Bern Hogarth book. I'm like, the, oh, I got it. This really breaks down the whole <laughs> way clothing folds. Just, Why don't you buy a pair just, of pants and just draw that? I'm like, no. <laughs> That's what I need for my autobio comics is really elaborate folds. But uh, I never liked his style because I thought it was just too mannered to me. That, sorry, that reminds me. Yeah. Of, uh, this show should just be called That Reminds Me. <laughs> of uh, uh, David uh, Chelsea. Remember David, yes, David Chelsea? David Chelsea and his, oh, yes, his crazy And books. so he'd, he'd be doing all these stories, autobiographical stories. Yeah. With drawings that are way too good yeah. for those stories. Yeah, yeah. And he'd just be like, just watching him walk down these stairs. <laughs> it's like, this is amazing. This yeah. guy has... Such a grasp of perspective. He did two books on perspective do, that are well oh man. worth your They're worth your at time. least worth looking at because especially the second one, which is like just should just be called stunt perspective because <laughs> it's just full of things like you know circular stairs and stuff like that where you know it's just crazy angles and you know like it's easy to draw a bicycle going down a stairs, like going down a circular yeah, stairs. So you simple. Like All this. you do is take these sixteen points <laughs> and then just connect them and then the know A-axis how to draw a attached to the y-axis, and... and then you do this mathematical equation that's quite simple, and this will get you the oh brother. Right. So I was looking at uh, the Bern Hogarth, book. yeah, and the and the autobiographical stories he was telling were basically like, girl doesn't like me. I mean, yes. nuts. Which look, it was. It was. I, I'm sure if you would, if you went through all my comics that were yeah, autobiographical, yeah, yeah. you could find yourself yeah. lots of we, those stories. We will. From me. I'll go through them myself, and I'll I'll bring the whiniest story and read right. it in and a I healing voice. Next, know time. how to do wonderful perspective <laughs> on things. So no, that's this... I'm totally throwing rocks from the glassiest house <laughs> in town. But the thing is, is like I feel like when Autobio works best with like Joe Matt or Seth. When they're drawing in a cartoony style, mm. and it kind of it kind of leavens the self pity a little bit because you know it's almost childish the way it's being. Well, portrayed. you can also project yourself into it easier. Yeah, yeah. Then instead, you're kind of watching something that's so beautifully detailed. Yeah, and you feel like I feel like a creep. <laughs> yeah, David Chelsea and Love. I never, I mean, it's named after him and everything, but yeah, they are, and it's beautiful. Like, yeah. like, hey, look at these pages. Gorgeous, right? I'm gonna read the one from the guy who's doing stick figures. <laughs> And well, I'm gonna really get into it. That's the it. thing, and he was—he was a little bit like Seth as well, because he wore like a suit, as I remember it in the sure. comics. And it feels more mannered in mannered. I used this word a couple of times. It feels more mannered in um, David uh, David Chelsea and Love than it felt in Seth, where it's very simply drawn. It's the you know s- simple New Yorker style guy wearing a wearing right. a, a overcoat and a hat. You know, whereas uh, Chelsea's was very detailed, and, uh, and also is the thing where he, the guy drew in pencil mm-hmm. and then didn't ink it. You're like, why didn't you finish? <laughs> why didn't you finish it? This is weird. So yeah, I don't know. Right now, I'm I gonna... have a few of them though. I bought, I bought a number of them because I did like his art style. Yeah, and the listen, the book. Here's what I feel like when I see the book on perspective. It's on my shelf. It's right there. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty clear. Yeah. Um, but to me, it's like uh, I could also probably find my copy of Stephen Hawking's, you know, uh, uh, brief history of time. Brief history of time. Yeah. Which I think I have two copies of. Sure. And, and it's the like, bookmark is a quarter of the way through. Yeah, I could just yeah, I could just read it and oh my god, I just can't. Like it's yeah. just like I'm done. I have the audiobook that he read. Yeah. No. Well, it's not the hardest thing to make on your own. 
Okay, I'm just going to read you the name of all the Bern Hogarth uh, nonfiction right. books. Dynamic Anatomy. That's right. All right. You know what? Trying. No, I'm not going to do anymore. All you have to do is go through body parts. Dynamic figure drawing. Dynamic. Yeah, you got two. You got two out of uh, six. All Dyn- right. Dynamic hands. Dynamic. Uh, drawing dynamic hands. You got three out of six. Come on. Keep going. Uh, what are you missing? What are you missing of the human dynamic body? heads? Yes, drawing the human head. We need two more. So I guess dynamic torsos. No. Oh shoot. Also, we're out of body parts now. now oh, we we're into. Oh, so sorry. Dy- dynamic backgrounds. Nope. Oh. We've already covered one. Dude. Oh, dynamic folds and dynamic uh, wrinkles and drapery. <laughs> okay. And the last one would is. Be... Oh my. What gosh. do you think could it be? Oh my gosh, dynamic. This one is for all the money. Is it called dynamic? It is dynamic. Oh, it is dynamic. Okay. Dynamic blank and blank, released in 1981. Dynamic blank, blank and blank, and blank. There, I'll tell you this much. Okay, they're opposites. They're opposites, but do they attract? Well, maybe we'll see. Okay, dynamic blank. I, I don't blank. know. I can't think of anything. Light and shade. Light and shade. Oh, I should have known that. I'm sorry. That was for all the money. We're going to give I it back to, to Elliot Gould. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, it means nothing. No, it means nothing. It means nothing. Such a good ending to a movie, folks. Loved it. The other movies I watched, Criterion is funny. Like, um, if you have a movie, what makes what makes a European movie an art movie? Like, if you... uh, the uh, uh, the nudity, the butts, subtitles, subtitles, and exactly. the butts. Any movie can have butts. And and full frontal. <laughs> well, Life of Brian is. A full person frontal. walks into their apartment and there's full frontal, and it could be uh, go either way. And then you're like mm, European movie. European movie. Uh, subtitles is the correct answer. You're right, and because I was watching these well, movies, it's not covering up. I mentioned the, uh, those. Nudity. I mentioned those Fernando Leo movies, which I watched a, bit, a little, bit, little bit more of. And it's just so funny to me that they're like absolute tr- trash. Like this, like they're fun. They're fun yeah. movies, but they were like fun movies that were played in Times Square in the in the seventies without with overdubs, like American International overdub them or whatever. And it's just so funny to watch them as like an art movie on on Criterion. You're just kind of like, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys know what's going on here, but. Uh, it was, it was fun. Mm-hmm. I just watched a bunch in a row because they were going to leave at the end of the month. That's what I always do. That's my way of like watching Tubi yeah. as well. I go to the leaving soon part and then I just go through and go like, oh, that movie is leaving soon. Because I, I watched, I watched um, Moonstruck on um, Tubi. Which you've seen before. Which I saw before, but I was curious because Nina was talking about it and I was like, I haven't seen the movie forever. Mm-hmm. And I love Joe vs. the Volcano, which is a movie I've watched more than once. All right. And so I was, I was kind of curious to watch Moonstruck in light of Joe vs. the Volcano. Okay, is it the same director? It's the same uh, writer. Oh, nice. John Patrick Shanley. Oh, yeah. okay, all right. And I think he directed Joe vs. the Volcano because Moonstruck was such a success. Okay. They're like, we'll do anything you want. He said, I've got this script that's absolute madness. Uh, who's in it? Tom Hanks. You yeah. got me. Meg Ryan. Yeah, Sounds who else? Great. Meg Ryan. Okay, but who else? Meg Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And Abe Vigoda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I watched Moonstruck. Mm-hmm. Two things struck me. About, about it first of all the moon the moon well that's three things the moon struck me his hand how goofy it is sure it's an absolutely goofy film like yeah it's a weird comedy that doesn't play as a comedy do you know what i mean like none of the actors are acting in a comedy but it is a comedy yeah they're all very intense they're all up to up to like nine. Third thing is is it totally ruined nick cage as an actor because he took that acting style that he brought to that movie as a as a goof okay as a goof and he wrote it the rest of his career like you could do that he does the same character in Vampire's Kiss okay and got a lot of acclaim when for did, that as uh, well Leaving Las Vegas I don't know I've never seen it okay but that was his like Academy Award winning film right? okay 
So, you know. Is it the same? It's probably the same style, though. It's probably like overacting. An, alcohol, and, uh, an alcoholic? Yeah, like that gives him a chance to ham it up entirely. His hair is every which way, and he's all stooped over, and he, he's still wearing the, the, the prosthetic glove on his one hand. Okay. <laughs> Still wearing the glove through the whole thing. Is that how that? Uh, yeah, he just kept on wearing. It. it became his to- totem. It's in every movie. Okay, all right. It's in Con Air. All right, well then, makes uh, it a I don't know what to say then. If, uh, if I just feel like every movie he made after after Moonstruck, he acts and th- like if you watch if you watch the movie um, with uh, Catherine. Oh man, how can I can't remember both names. Because I'm in England, that's why. I'm in England right now, so I'm not responsible right, for Right, they don't watch uh, Nicolas Cage movies there. <laughs> uh, no, I was trying to think of the actress who was in like Body Heat and Serial Mom and stuff like that. Uh, right. Kathleen Turner. Turner. That movie with yeah. with, with Nicolas Cage and Kathleen Turner, the the the, the, the Coppola movie, um, Peggy Sue Got Married. Mm-hmm. He doesn't act like that in it. He doesn't okay. act like that in Valley Girl. Well, I mean, before... Wait, hold. Time. Yeah. Time, time gentlemen, time. Okay. Right before he did Moonstruck, he yeah. did a film yeah. where he was even more over the top. Vampire's Kiss came came for Moonstruck? No, no, no. Before Moonstruck, there was another film, oh. uh, Raising Arizona. Yeah. And that one is way more Nicky Cage yeah, yeah. than uh, Moonstruck is. Maybe maybe that was a movie that ruined him. But, oh yeah, maybe that was. But I feel like that's a... Well, they're both comedies. But I, like I say, Moonstruck is a weird movie because it doesn't... No one in it is acting in the comedy. Okay. Only the audience can see the comedy. Well, there's a little movie called Guarding Tess that I think like breaks this whole thing. <laughs> no, I've seen Guarding Tess. It does not break it. it. Does not break the cycle. I want to see something real quick here and just go. Do I know the writer of, of Guarding Tess? I, okay, here's the. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay, I was going like, what's my connection to Guarding Tess? I know someone who was telling me Guarding Tess stories. Okay, what was it? It's P.J. Torque. Oh, okay, yeah. Huh. Uh, was the writer there, and uh, and it was written by uh, P.J. Torquefe and Hugh Wilson, both of whom wrote WKRP. That is correct. Hmm. Well done, you. <laughs> you should. You're doing good. Good I am for you. Doing you good. messed a... you messed up with the light and shade. <laughs> really good stuff. I lost otherwise. a lot of points there. I lost all my money. Yeah, the hammy Nick Cage thing. Yeah. Uh, th- though it, oddly enough, he didn't play uh, Spider Ham. <laughs> but uh, but uh, when you ask how many hams are in uh, in that Spider-Man movie, the answer two. <laughs> he does play. He does kind of ham it up as Spider Noir or whatever his name is. Noir Spider Spider is it Spider Noir? Spider-Man Noir. Spider-Man Noir. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Like I don't know. I just thought it was sort of interesting when I was watching. No, I was, that's a fair point. I was like, wow, this is. A Though re- I would say Raising Arizona was the first. Yeah, it could like, be. Could be. I'll have to, I, I'm not a fan of Raising Arizona. Oh, I am. I very much. Yeah, I'm not. It's a weird thing. I love the direction. I do not like funny Coen Brother movies. Ah, I only like them when they're like. Well, now you got me. One okay. I only like them when they're mean. (laughs) Do you like them when they uh, they uh, uh, end with uh, someone staring off into the distance? You're like, what? And then that's uh, that's that's. I do like a serious man, and I guess that is sort of a comedy, but it's not played. Once again, it's not played as a comedy. No, the actors in the movie do not. They have no act like they're, they're in, a, in a comedy, yeah. And I, that's what I like, kind of liked about Moonstruck is that no one in that movie realizes no, they're in a comedy. It's deadly serious for yeah. everyone in that movie. Yeah, they are all playing drama. Yeah, to yeah. the point of its comedy. And everyone in it is really good. Like you get good little bit actors like John Mahoney and Olympia Dukakis, and Cher does you know fine. Yeah, she does you know a good job in that movie. Nicholas She's Cage, good frustrated. Nicholas Cage, you know, in that movie, I love what he does because his character loves opera, and he just. He just like goes Carmen all out on, on, in his story of 
<laughs> losing his hand mm-hmm. that he tells in the in the basement bakery. Uh, I yeah, gotta ask, I gotta ask you a Cohen question. Sure. Uh, do you see Fargo as a comedy? Once again, I it's, do. It's a movie where the characters don't know it's a comedy, though. So that to me, it it's like no one's trying to be funny when they're making that movie. Okay. Like I don't think William Macy's. But you think The funny. Big Lebowski is a comedy? Yeah. Like no, people know that that's a comedy when they're in it. Yeah. No, I kind of think that's more like L.A. Noir that movie. Okay. Lady Killers, of course. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of slapping. Burn after reading. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. fair. I'll give you that. Uh, Hail Caesar. For me... I know you don't like that movie. I, I really don't like that movie. I do, I do kind of like that movie, actually. All right. Any feelings on The Ballad of Buster Scruggs? I like that movie a lot. All right. Have you seen do it? You think, yeah. Do you think that's a comedy? I mean, it's a musical kind of comedy. It has... It's hard to, it's hard to say that, like, the... You know, a, a lot big chunks of it aren't. Yeah, the big chunks. It depends what story we're talking about. Ah, the one where the the woman dies in the Indian attack, or yeah. the one where the guy gets thrown off a bridge with a leg. The guy was... becomes a ghost <laughs> and is singing a song as he floats up into the sky. That's kind of a happy ending. Yeah, he All knew right. he knew he had a life life shelf life. He's not a surprise at his own demise. Yeah, that you know, I think that. But once again, that's a movie where it's more it's more grim and mean. And any humor in it is just merely at the at the character's expense, not at not they're not trying to entertain us, you know. Okay. So I, I give like once again I'll give that a pass. I just find you know I, you know any kind of sweeping generalization of course has exceptions. So I don't want to sound like a big hypocrite that I like, but I just prefer movies like Miller's Crossing or whatever else, True Grit. Here's a weird bit of trivia. Um, Ethan Cohen uh, wrote. Ethan Cohen wrote a one act comedy. You wouldn't okay. like it. Okay. Uh, called Talking uh, Cure. Okay. Produced on Broadway. All right. I'm going to give you some clues here. Sure. In 2011, as part of Relatively Speaking, it was an anthology of three one-act plays okay. ran on Broadway. All right. It was him yeah. and two other film directors. I see. Uh, one of the film directors is a male. One of the film directors is a female. Uh, the film director who's a male... Does a lot of movies. Yeah, so that's Woody Allen. There you go. Who is the I, woman? I kind of knew that when you said that because I read. Like I just read. A, you know, I read his. Then who's the woman? But who is the woman who is in it? I'll tell you this much. Okay. They have been in a Woody Allen movie. Oh wow! But she's a director. Yep, multiple times. We have talked about her on the show <laughs> fairly frequently. Oh, Elaine May. Yep. <laughs> if you said great director, then I would have. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I I knew about the Woody Allen connection because I. He, mentioned, he talks about it in his uh, autobiography. So there you go. All right, here's a question. Um, Still a fan. Uh, the, uh, the Coen brothers yeah. were nominated mm-hmm. for a Best Original Song at the Academy Award. Uh, sorry. Uh, at the, uh, go- the, they were nominated for a Golden Globe. Yeah. My apologies. Sorry. Okay. Uh, for a film they yeah, did in I, 2013. I said sorry. I mean to say it's okay. All right. <laughs> so what was that song and okay. or what was that film? 2013. 2013. And the Coen brothers were nominated. So that was Oh Brother Where Art though? Nope. Oh. 2013. I guess that was before that. 2013. Um, yeah. I was trying to think of what movie that might be. When you want a clue, let me know. 13. It was loosely based Can... on the life of someone. Um, But it's not Hail Caesar. Nope. Who's who are the who's the lead actor? Oh, the lead actor will tell you. Immediately. Oh, it'll get, tell. Oh, okay, sorry. Then, then yeah, um, that would uh, that would immediately. I will tell you that uh, uh, one of the co-stars yeah. was in a boy band. How one about of the that? Was in a, how about how about the Justin lead... Timberlake is in a movie with? Yeah. How about this? How about uh, that? The lead actor has now played um, at least two Marvel characters that I can think of. What? Yep. 
The lead actor has played at least two Marvel characters. Yeah, and then and Justin Timberlake is one of the co-stars. Yeah, and it is loosely based on the life of Dave Van Ronk. Oh, 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 oh! Gee, 2013 was when. Um, Okay, trying to think of it now. Sorry, Inside Llewellyn Davis. And can you give me... Oh, so it's the Spaceman one. Which is called... What's, what's the song <sighs> title? Mr. Moon Su- Man. Sung by, uh, sung by uh, you know, t- uh, two, uh, two Ky- Star Kylo Wars Ren. characters. Kylo Ren and... Uh, and <laughs> Poe Dameron. Poe Dameron, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the song is called... It's got the name of a president. Oh, was it really Mr. Johnson? Or Mr. Kennedy. Oh, Mr. Kennedy or something like that? Or please, Mr. Kennedy. Yes. <laughs> See, listen. One day in the future, yeah, all your friends are going to be losing their memory, yes. and you're going to be like, you know what? Thank you, Ian, <laughs> for exercising my brain. Sure, yeah, yeah. Every uh... it's as good as my daily crossword, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. My daily word search. I don't. I don't do word searches. Okay. How about this? Uh-huh. This sentence is going to be a Cohen okay. Cohen trivia. Okay. Uh, the Cohens co-wrote a uh, script. Mm. That was directed by uh, wasn't wasn't co-written by. You talking person. about Crime Wave? Nope. Okay. Uh, the Coens co-wrote a script. Okay. Screenplay. Yeah. Um, uh, and it was directed by a little guy named uh, Steven Spielberg. What Steven Spielberg movie did the Coen brothers co-write? What I can Ste- yeah. What Steven Spielberg movie? Is it a really serious one? It is a serious one. It was released in 2015. 2015. I was thinking Munich, so that's not that. Um, they were nominated for best original screenplay. Oh, is it across across the bridge? Bridge of Spies. Bridge of Spies. That's right. <laughs> across the bridge. You across the bridge. That, that bridge. Movie. Bridge to the River Kwai. <laughs> bridge, bridge over troubled waters. Bridge, bridge on the river. Yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Bridges. <laughs> nope. Is it Mr. Bridges? Yeah. Mr. Bridges goes to Washington. <laughs> Huh, that's a good bit of trivia there. Yeah, you're very well. That's so, fine. okay, so here's my little bit of trivia about the. Uh, so I really like trivia, by the way. <laughs> the Coen Brothers yep. were roommates. Yes. With yes a filmmaker right. who you know, of course, it's obvious. Okay. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi, and he always hanging around with them. Who are the two women that live with them? Frances McDormand. Yeah. And the her uh, begins with an H. Uh, she, Holly Hunter. Oh, sorry. There's one more woman there. Oh, one more There's woman? three women, actually, that live with them. All right, well, there's Holly Hunter. Yeah, Holly Hunter. Uh, Frances McDormand. Yeah. Uh, Elaine May. No, it's not Elaine May. No, I don't know who the third one is. Give me a clue. Uh, I'll give you a clue. Is, uh, it, is it an actor? Or is, is it a it, director? It's it's an it's an actor. Okay. And She's she's an actor. We've defined that she's a woman. She's an actor. And um, let me think now. Pretty good at me getting the other two, though. Oh, yeah. Good yeah. on me for that. Yeah, that's that. good. That's really good. So um, I can just tell you that... Her career has brought a lot of people misery. <laughs> okay, there we go. Uh, well, that would be the uh, the the person who is uh, uh, now playing um, Matlock. Really, uh, Kathy Bates? Yes, Kathy yeah. Bates. Yeah, she's playing Matlock. But isn't that weird to think that Kathy Bates lived with the Coen Brothers, Sam Raimi, Holly Hunter, and Francis McDormand? It makes it feels me, like it's it makes me think age. of Midnight in Paris, mm. where she's like hanging out with all the celebrities of the era, and I'm yeah. like. Anytime I hear about her, I'm like, yeah, she knows everybody. Of course she knows everybody. But she's n- done everything. And but she's none of them were everybody. celebrities yet. They're all they're no. all striving at that point. That's right. And and they all feed on each other's energy and yeah, give each other yeah. feedback. And they le- point each other in the right direction. And there you go. And you make some amazing stuff. Yeah. Because the Coen brothers, they didn't know Sam Raimi, but they worked. They Even before they knew him, they did the, they worked on editing Evil Dead. 
and then then they became acquainted with him. Yeah. So they and then again, when we're talking together. about raising Arizona, there's some scenes in there that you're just like, well, that's a Raimi. That's a Raimi. That's a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. They still it's a it has a name for it, which was called Shaky Cam. That's what they called it. Yeah, just yeah. A, camera, a camera nailed to a board. And then someone's on either side of the board, and then mm-hmm. you run through the woods or run up a ladder. Uh, <laughs> well, go along. The first time they used it, this, the, the Coens, because when I saw Blood Simple, I was like, how did they do that shot? Because the tracking shot, and then the camera goes over top of a, of a bar fly that's asleep on the bar, uh, and then carries on down towards nice. towards uh, Sam, whatever that actor's name, act, actor's name is. Um, There's a lot of Sam's. <laughs> there are a lot of Sam's. But... Um, you know the actor who's in the movie, but anyway, that's. I mean, you, when I first watched it, I didn't. I didn't know what it was, but I was watching an American Masters documentary about the, those early days of American independent films, and the Coen Brothers talking there about working on working on the editing for Evil Dead and how inspiring it was for them. And what they really loved was that the shaky cam is like this kind of answer to an immediate problem in Evil Dead, but something that you could adapt to your, for yourself. Sure. And so they use it for the bar sequence. So the camera is on that shaky cam on the stretcher and it just they just had two people carrying it along and this over top of the actor and then down towards the other end i always wonder with stuff like i mean you've, you brought up something that i i think about a lot which is where you have like a group of people who you know you're like how did all five like there's um there's a group of people like nick kroll and john mulaney and uh, mike perbiglia and there's like a couple others that all went to the same college okay and they've all become like some of the best like com- comedy minds sure, around sure. And you're like, was that a coincidence? Or is it because all of these people got together that, you know, they developed something there that was greater than the sum of their parts and they helped each other's work? And more than helping each other's work, as in like adding to their work, eliminating the other shortcomings. So like everyone as a director or comedian or someone in the arts has a problem. They're not good at this or they lower in this than higher in this. And then when you get those kind of like intense groups together for for periods of time, they eliminate the flaws and build up the goods. And then when they split and go in their own directions, they're all stronger than they were when they were together. Mm-hmm. And I've just seen, I mean, if I'm talking about myself and it sounds like, hey, you Johnny Braggy. <laughs> but like when I was starting off with in improv, I was with some really good people that we all like really work together a lot. Mm-hmm. And so when we had our time on stage, we were like prepped and ready to go and boom. And then sometimes I see someone who is just starting off, but they're definitely on their own or just friends with one other person. I'm like, oh, you don't have this group kind of energy. You, you don't have other people sure. around you yeah. that are bringing you up and upping your game by both you know, helping you with your flaws and also uh, pointing out your strengths. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just such a shame. But I was like, I, I love that kind of thing when it's just like these groups of people. Yeah. They work together and then even better, they all leave and separate and go their own directions. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I think, I think so many scenes like that are based around opportunity. And so, you know, like wherever they were, there was opportunity for to perform and to develop. But there were also the situation where uh, we're broken. We need to all live together because mm. you know we can't all afford our own yeah, spots. Yeah, yeah. So you know you have to see that same person day after day after day, and you have to sure. see what they're working. But you on. still need like opportunity because there could sure. be like a similar situation in another city, and because there's no performing spaces, right? Or you know because it's too expensive, and so people can't have a black box theater that will allow people to to put on a show and and develop their skills and stuff like that. All those people, this kind of it just kind of fell apart for them, and now they're just like living their lives. 
And it's sad, but they don't like totally regret it. They had fun while it lasted. Yeah. But it just never went on from there into something more professional. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah there's a the the first place that we did this show, uh, Hell Kitty Studios, like on Main Street. Yeah. Um. There, you know, me and me and my wife were like the two first uh, comic book people that were in that building. Sure. But soon there was more. Yeah. And there, especially the the studio that was directly across from us was this real rotating yeah. bunch of people. Yeah. But Staying stable in there was James Lloyd and Robin Bouget, who are yeah. two of the best, uh, you know, uh, comic book people, like both amazing genius oh, yeah. artists. Yeah. And so, like, I think, like, all these comic book people that went in got raised a little bit by, oof, okay, so this is the level, huh? Yeah. All right, yeah. let's go, let's go. And, you know, occasionally <laughs> we'd go over and throw in our two bits or, or what have you. And then Johnny Christmas was also there in his yeah. own place down the, down the way. Yeah, now and there was an happened. example of a building where it was... It was economical enough that people could have a studio there yeah. and, you know, and and allow for this little community to gather, you know, like without that building there, it was unlikely that it would have happened because yeah. it was just way too expensive in Vancouver to find like office especially, space. Like especially when it's places listed as for artists, like Jesus Christ, you can never <laughs> afford any place that's called for artists. But yeah, you, you, yeah. What, you what you do is you go into a place like we did, yeah. which was uh for phone scams yeah you know fly by night uh shenanigans uh problems yeah uh, that was just on like a, a a very 60 minutes canadian show uh weeks before and and yeah then i think we went in and showed that like yeah you can make a little nice little space here and other people went huh let us know when there's another space open and we did and then yeah it became yeah. kind of artsy and to this day it's like it's a very artsy place yeah i mean you look at halifax in the in the early 90s you know, there is similar scenes like that all, sure. all across Canada, but they were lucky enough to be in a situation where there was places to play. So it encouraged. Are you talking music for that? Talking music, yeah. Because also comedy at the same time. Sure. Like, so there's performing places there because it's, not an, it's an inexpensive place to, to live, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. You are still close to Toronto. So you have you have the the chance yeah. of like getting noticed there. Yeah, you can Unlike fly here, there in an hour. So there's going to be way more opportunity for you there than there would be if you had a band here in British Columbia. Like mm-hmm. here in Vancouver, not only is it expensive to live, hard to find places to play, but you're a long way away from the center of the entertainment business in Canada, which is Toronto. So you're you're going to die on the vine here unless something happens to to send you out there. You know, like you just have the sound, you have some sort of whatever this that thing that happens. Uh, you know, but because you have this burgeoning scene that's close to Toronto, close to much music, they can pay attention to it. Yep. They can have interviews with the bands. They can play their videos. They can, you know, nurture the scene that's going to grow. Same thing in Montreal. Like, so, you know, we have a huge scene in Montreal. Same thing. It's a cheap city to live in. It's close to Toronto. So you have, you know, talent, people spotting there, you know, managers, agents, people looking for, for fr- fresh, fresh flesh. They'll find it there, you know, and so they, you know, they bring it with, with them back to, uh, to into Toronto, and that's that's how it works, you know. Yeah. And all the bands from Halifax, they all live in Toronto now. You know, they don't play in Halifax anymore because that scene's dead. Where they are is where the entertainment center is in Toronto. You know. It was a weird situation with uh, with Halifax in that, you know, you had uh, Codco start starting off there, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and around that same time you had. Uh, the second kind of uh, group, and my friend Christine Taylor was part of it, Rick Mercer was part of it, Andrew Young husband, uh, a couple other people, and uh, they admired 
Codco, which was this touring sketch comedy group. They really played up the Newfoundland. Hard touring, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and they would always like be here doing their kind of shocking shows, um, yeah. uh, political shows. And then you had the, this group there. And yeah, they were all like super broke and uh, just doing shows. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's so cheap uh, in Halifax to live. Yeah, that, you know, you're fine. You're not gonna. What's gonna? What's the worst that's gonna happen to you? No one's gonna starve. You're fine. Yeah. So you had your chance to like work your work your stuff together. And then, uh, you know, when Codco stopped doing their uh, TV show, uh, they did this hour's twenty two minutes, which bumped us. <laughs> As we've said. And again, once again, when 22 minutes goes off the air, Dave and I are right on in there. Right on in there. Two of the members can't be part of it for various reasons, both the uh, oof. Uh, but, uh, the you know, we'll be right on in there and everything will just be fine. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it built and they helped each other and uh, encouraged each other and... And yeah, and just made and, and all went on to do like quite amazing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. my problem then there, of course, is with twenty two minutes, and I'm not saying this just because you guys are just jealous. Is uh, I feel like that's kind of stagnated. Yeah, and so you know, unfortunately, hmm. that energy that was there became yeah. very corporate yeah. and very uh, you know, unfortunately, people have stayed there too long. It feels mm. like because mm. uh, what are they going to do? Not work. <laughs> uh, and I understand that, but uh, but yeah, it's it's not. It's not got that woof. Yes. It's got people trying to sort of emulate what has come before. Yeah. Even though they're very talented people and sometimes something really gold comes through. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's such an interesting dynamic to me. Mm. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. I mean, on a smaller scale, I mean, it's just funny that, you know, a friend and I put together a comedy club, a sketch comedy club at a high school. Okay, I was going. You opened up a comedy club, <laughs> sketch comedy club at high school. Are you? And are you? Was that punchlines? Did you open yes, punchlines? I started punchlines with with Ryan Styles. It was you. I, I, no, it was actually uh, uh, Sir Laughalots. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, that's also known as. Uh, we can't pay you today. Can we send you a check for next week? Sounds good. <laughs> the correct answer was Comedy Cave. Comedy Cavern. Comedy Castle. Comedy. Comedy Castle, because okay. they had like the castle thing. Sorry, not okay. the Comedy Cave. That was a different I'm thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. We, when, we call, when we changed the name, it was to the Merry Moat. So then, um, yeah, just the fact that in a, high, a small high school, we still attracted like a talented group of people to put on sketch comedy and stuff like that. We weren't the greatest in the world. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, still, for in a little microcosm like that, if you make an opportunity, there will be talent that will come to that. Yeah. You know? And as long as it's an environment that will... <laughs> Talent will come and then I will also show up. That's not true. Uh, it's also... It has to be a balance of like enough different and enough the same. Mm-hmm. It can't be all the same. <laughs> and again, that's the same thing with like... You would look at the Coen brothers and you would look at uh, Sam Raimi and might go, it's too similar. Too similar. But like, yeah, there's enough different. Then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's... Obviously, there's, you know... They're from the same region, so there's going to be like similar outlooks to life and stuff like that. And what is, same age. What is Sam Raimi's brother's name again? Ted? Ted. I was going to say Ivan, because Ivan Raimi is also his brother. Oh, interesting. Do you ever think like Ted went uh, to Sam and went, uh, hey, you know, those brothers write together? <laughs> those brothers co-credit <laughs> no, on Ivan did uh, directors? That, Ivan Raimi and Sam Raimi wrote, uh, Evil, um, wrote um, Army of Darkness together. Yeah, I just think he says, uh, you know, they uh, direct together. Yeah, you know, they get to split that money. Mm. Yeah, hey, hey, <laughs> how about we he both might. direct a simple plan? He might, but I don't hey. think that's going to happen. But those brothers do it. <laughs> the Wachowskis do it. He was too busy doing. Even educated fleas do it. <laughs> educated fleas, you say. Let's do it. Let's direct a film. A lot of song, lot of lyrics in this song are racist. 
<laughs> you can't sing this song anymore, but it is catchy. Let's fall in love. Uh, that's good. Yep. I enjoyed that. If you, uh, do you have Criterion? Yes. Can I recommend a movie, Green for Danger, with Alistair Sim? You can, and I might a, write it down right It's a now. murder mystery. Okay. Comedy, uh, tragedy. It's, it's, he's funny in it, but it's not played for laughs. Okay. What it's, era? Uh, World War II. Okay. It's taking place during the, uh, during the Blitz. The, the, the V2 right. rockets are, are flying overhead, much to everyone's discomfort. Okay. But it's an enjoyable film. It's, um... I've got to watch that Umbrellas of... Cherbourg. Got to watch that, but yeah. I got to look at it with my eyes because I got to see the subtitles. Yeah. This oh, is my problem. It's like, oh, you're a... oh I got to watch a show. Oh, but I got to look at it. <laughs> That's Lisa's problem. She does not like me watching uh, subtitled stuff because she can't play uh, Boggle on the computer at the same time. Well, she couldn't pay attention to the thing anyway because it, it wouldn't matter. Boggle? If it, no, no, no. The... Um, if you're doing Boggle, yeah. you're like, uh, you can't pay attention to a plot of like an English uh, thing <laughs> while you're playing Boggle, right? Like, Probably not. Yeah, you know. you're coming up with the words. I just, uh, I, I don't like to uh, do things while I'm watching uh, movies. Okay. Although the other day I watched Murder on the Bridal Path, which I taped off TCM, which was one of those films where you feel like, you watch it and you go like, oh, this is, this is like primetime programming for the Midwest okay. of its time. Okay. You know what I mean? Like it's in an imaginary city. It doesn't say it's in New York. It doesn't say where it is. It has it has sets by the greatly named Van Ness Polglaze, who also designed like all the sets for the Astaire and Rogers movies, all those glistening floors and everything. But this film is sort of, this film is sort of playing like on a light, a light element of that kind of art deco style. But it also has like turn of the century styles in it as well, because you don't want to get too crazy for the for the Midwest. <laughs> the actors in it are not stars. All right. They're they are you know maybe popular be uh, popular like character actors of the time. They're older too. Like one is uh, James Gleason, mm. who is like always played like cops, like kind of hard bitten cops and stuff in movies. And he's a cop in this movie. Oh okay. And the other woman, I think her name is like Helen Broderick, and she's like an older. She's a school marm. She's described as a school marm in the description of the movie. And so she's kind of like the smart aleck, uh, you know, sleuth who teams up with the James Gleason police character to solve the crime. And when you watch it, you feel like this is, there's more than just this movie. Like this is a one in a series of films that were easy to make, were real programmers yeah. that you could make, have before the, the, the real feature and were really popular in the Midwest. Oh, okay. You know, because, and it's weird to watch that because most of the times when you watch a film, like the movies I like, Marx Brothers, Screwball Comedies, things like that, are obviously the Smarty Pants films made for Smarty Pants, big city people, of which I'm one, obviously. I live in all the Right. Life. You're a real city slicker. Totally. That's why I have chickens in the backyard. And, but when those movies are obviously made for a, a city audience that likes things fast, bright, clever, gets, you know, little references, enjoys the, the double entendre and stuff like that. That's not what you get with Myrtle on the Brighter Path. That is strict, you know, moralizing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, any of, the, any of the jokes are just kind of like little, I'll say she is, you know, those sort of things like that. And, and just like a straight, straight murder mystery, you know, where it gets solved and blah, blah, blah. And there's a little bit of humor to it, but most of it is just like, you know, just straight ahead, this is what you get. Which would have been great if you're in the Midwest, because that's what people wanted there, right? Yeah. They're tired. They were working on the farm all day. They went to town. Yeah. They want to see a movie. They want someone to come in and go, I'm the murderer. <laughs> yes. Declare it. I'm the detective. Pretty I'm much is what happens, right? Like, they don't know. Because that's why people like Columbo. Have you ever noticed? Oh, I can relax. <laughs> have you ever noticed watching, like, an old 70s 
police drama or whatever, or even before that, like how little they have to go on before there was, <laughs> before there was DNA. Yeah. Like, how did they solve a crime? Yeah. Obviously, just by beating a person near to death and having them confess, even though they didn't do it. Because there's no other way to kick some, figure out who did it. Unless the guy's like caught standing over the body with a knife in his hand, dripping yeah. blood, and then says, I'm a murderer. Where else? Like what? Well, we got, the, so we got some blood samples. Uh-huh. Like, what does that tell you? Well, you could tell the blood type. Yeah. You could do that. Sure. So, that, there's so if some, it's a rare blood type, there you go. that's that would, one thing. That'd be helpful. If there's a note confessing. <laughs> that's pretty much it. I did it and I'm glad. So in this, Signed, Rupert Johnson. So exactly. So in this movie, the murderer, although no one has any idea who he is, mm-hmm. finally just decides that he's going to reveal himself as a murderer and kill off the woman who's detecting. Oh. You know? And so then you know that he now you know he's the murderer. We've, we've solved the case. Here's the murderer. And it's kind of silly. Right, but I'm, difficult. I'm going to give you a weird bit of trivia here. All right. So, uh, Green for Danger is based on a novel. By a man, by a man named Lear? By Christina Brand. Okay. Yeah. Is that a Woman. real person? Uh, let's say yes. Okay. Uh, you got to ask me to look that up. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm just curious. I can't believe you're telling me okay. to look this up. Now I got to look that up. Uh, known professionally as Christina Brand, uh, her name was really... Uh, Mary Christina Lewis. Okay. Are you happy now? Well, it didn't sound like a real name, but anyway, go on. Okay, fine. Anyway, here's the thing. The uh, novel was written. Yeah. It came out after her novel, Heads You Lose. Okay. And before her novel, Suddenly at the Residence. It's popular. Followed by Tales I Win. It was yeah. adapted another time Okay. for an episode called The Rod of, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this good, Asclepius. Okay, okay, Asclepius. Okay, and that's uh, the uh, that's the name of the snake winding around the. Uh, oh, very good. Yeah. All right. So you know, yeah, the rod. Uh, that would make sense mm-hmm. if you're looking at what the plot is. Yeah. Uh, and it was used uh, in a 2016 BBC episode of what mystery solver? BBC. Oh, it's 2016. 2016. BBC. TV series. Yeah. It's a mystery solver. Mystery solver. I'll say it's a male. Okay. Oh, it's a male. It's a male, okay. and it was uh, an adaptation of the novel. So this was another uh, adaptation of this story. Really interesting. Yes. Is it? But it's modernized, so that's strange. I wonder what they would do with like the V two rockets and stuff. Um, well, no, not necessarily. Maybe it was set in the past. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, was it uh, Foil's War? It was not Foil. Uh, Foil's so War. Foil's War is like, takes place during World War Two. Oh, okay, was very good. Uh, was it? it, is, it is, the series is set mm. in uh, early nineteen fifties. Oh, yeah, set in England in the Does early. Does it start Peter Peter Davison? It is no okay. I can tell you it stars Mark Williams. Does that help you in that any way? Not help me at all. Okay, it won't help you hearing that Hugo Spears also in it. I just does nah, even less of a help. Okay. Oh, it's not Father Brown. Yes. Really? Yeah, it's Father Brown. Oh, yep. So the they were they ran the G.K. Chesterton wrote a lot of Father Brown stories. Are they? T- you're telling me they ran out of G.K. Chesterton stories? I guess so. Huh. But I'm telling you, in 2016, BBC. Did a Father Brown episode that was based on Green for Danger. Oh, interesting. It's got Alistair Sim in it, who's so good in everything he's ever done. He's amazing in every way. So uh, I, I just recommend it. It's, it's fun. All right. It's a fun film. Done and done. Now look, Dave. Yeah. Traditionally, we would go and we would read letters. We would traditionally but read letters. But we don't. We can't. Have any letters. Because this show is floating so, in the ether. So here's what I'm going to do. Okay. All right, let me just... Gonna read some old letters. No, no. You know what? That's actually an interesting idea. <laughs> Let's go back That's to... more interesting than the ideas that uh, that I would uh, be saying here right now. Okay. So, so instead, what I'm going to do is... Go I'm episode go- three. 
I'm going to go and I'm going to hold it one second. Okay. Hold it. Easy now. Yeah. Easy. Here we go. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to make up letters. <laughs> so uh, Louise writes. Okay. Okay. Uh, my favorite breakfast cereal. Hmm. When I was a child, we never had cereal. Mother wouldn't let us have such things. And so oh, we, would, uh, we would have to eat pancake mix. Oh. Uh, times were tough. And we we didn't have time to cook them, okay. So uh, we had to eat the pancake mix straight from the bowl. And uh, my sister and I would cough all the way to school. Uh, occasionally, my brother would uh, would sneak some syrup, and we would uh, we would uh, drink that on the way to school as well. well I'm some... sorry for bringing up that uh, that horrible memory, Louise, but I appreciate it. Uh, favorite movie about monkeys was Head. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, All right. Good answer. Good. good answer. Okay, Lisa. Lisa writes. Oh, Lisa writes. Uh, what did we eat for breakfast? Uh, uh, my parents wanted to toughen us up, so we would have to shoot and kill our own breakfast every morning, which was difficult as we lived in the city. <laughs> so for the most part, it a strict was strict diet of hobo. Yeah, for 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 the most part, it was uh, squirrel. <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, it was it was squirrel and uh, and slow rat. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. And uh, favorite movie about monkeys uh, was, oh, uh, Michael Nesmith's uh, Elephant uh, Parts. Okay. Well, sure. I didn't, didn't know Lisa watched that. That's good to know. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Edward Dragansky writes, uh, when I was working at Lone Star Comics, uh, we would eat comic books for breakfast. Okay. Because we were very poor as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, I would, uh, I would uh, eat uh any comics that we didn't sell after a month mm. so that was a lot of uh forever people okay and some of his some of jack kirby's work before he became pop more popular okay yeah uh so i imagine like the demon eat a lot of demon commandy devil dinosaur yes yeah yeah that's right uh, eternals eternals okay. all the eternals yeah. yeah yeah uh i think it spent an eternals in my gut uh <laughs> i don't i don't enjoy that time period and favorite movie involving monkeys uh planet of the apes just the tim burton version Ooh. only the tim burton version yeah. and just the last scene wow quit with it. monkey <laughs> abraham lincoln yeah <laughs> so there's there's that that is whoa well thanks and for liam liam so. writes oh, oh, liam. liam liam writes uh i'm sorry i didn't listen to this week's episode that's it. That's all. That's all you had to say. Well, yeah. we'll accept your apology. Peter Ayers uh, I didn't also, to also writes, oh. uh, please say hi to Liam for me. Liam responds, <laughs> hey, Peter, how you doing? Peter responds back, uh, you know, could be better, could be worse. Liam responds, that worries me hearing you say that. Peter goes, sorry, I didn't mean it to come across that way. Liam uh, responds with, uh, so how you liking the show? I think it's gone downhill over the last couple of years. Uh, Peter responds, they can read this, you know. Liam goes, no. <laughs> Peter goes, yeah. And Liam goes, I thought, I thought I'd have to approve this. No, you're sending these out directly, says Peter. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. How can I cancel this? Uh, Peter, I don't, I don't know you, man. Uh, and that's where that ends. Wow. Yeah. That was good. That was a nice conversation. I'm glad that people are meeting each other through Sneaky Dragon. Yes. I feel like... We are helping to bring the world together. I'm sorry for not reading any of uh, the other the other letters. Oh, okay, that's fine. We don't need to to uh, belabor it. Oh, uh, Mother Kisser twenty nine <laughs> what says I came to this I came to this podcast <laughs> yeah. through completely Beatles. Oh, uh, you lost me at uh, full marks. Got me back 
with fan splinters and lost me again with totally tin tin. Please stop. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Stop what? Um, Luis responds to them. <laughs> uh, did we go to school together? I was the girl known as Pancake Mix Girl. <laughs> you know what? That's pretty good. Like that's it could have been worse. Pancake Mix Girl. That's pretty good. Yeah. Like you know, if I knew someone who they called my sister Waffalo. Oh no, <laughs> well, that's, that's a little worse. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. Anyway, that's all the letters we didn't have for this one. <laughs> nice. Good job. All right. I enjoyed that. Do we have questions for next week, or how does this go now? Yeah, I guess we should have questions for next week, shouldn't we? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that, but you're right. I guess we should have questions for next week. Well, uh, let, let me throw one okay. out. Okay, throw one out. Uh, what is any uh, group... Uh, what's your favorite group kind of of artists now? What I'm saying by that is... Uh, people that uh, kind of started off at the same time and worked together and were kind mm, of part of that mm. same same vibe. Yeah, yeah. So that could be in any like art form, or yeah. it could be any kind of movement, or it could be anything along those lines. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, my question. I don't have a question, but let me just let me think for a second. <sighs> Favorite candy with the word "patch kids" in it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, let me just think. We'll just be quiet for a second, and then. then you know, yeah, it makes get... for a good podcast. Yeah, well, but it'll disappear. You know, I'll do the it'll truncate, truncate the silence. Yeah, I'll truncate silence, and then it'll be gone, and then we'll, and then my question will pop up out of the blue as if by a miracle. No one could believe it. Um, what? Oh well, maybe I'll talk, maybe I'll kind of relate it to California Split. What's a movie that you put off watching that when you finally did was uh, better than you thought it would be? Oh, nice. There we go, everyone. That's my question for this week. I'm just gonna say this: this happened at the. Uh, we went to White Spot uh, before this, and mm. it was quite good. As was in, it quite good? No, no. Th- this incident was quite good. To okay, me. okay. Yeah, I had the fried chicken, which was terrible. Um, my, you know what? I shouldn't be having fried chicken right now. Anyway, it was right. It was right to be bad. <laughs> um, but there was a fella at the table next to us who joined in our conversation about movies. He did. And at one point, at one point, uh, I'm not going to say what the movie was. But my sister-in-law is next to me, Vicky Van, who's been on the show before, who's going to be on a show that's coming up uh, soon. Uh, we talked about a movie, and she went, oh, I've never seen that movie. And the person went, I know, that scene where this person gets shot in the head? Whoa, did not see that coming. Oh, that was so, so great. Well, he actually said that scene, at like, he basically yeah. said where the scene takes place as well. Yeah. So you're just like... Oh, you've just the biggest spoiler. She <laughs> just said she never saw it. It was uh, oh. it was beautiful, and was like how do, oh people unco- people unconsciously revel in that sort of power. They do, and they don't even, they don't even know they're doing it. Sometimes no. they're just so excited to talk about something. They just want to talk about that. And, and, and the interesting thing was, I don't know if we had mentioned like Leonardo DiCaprio, mm. but like the first thing that the person said was. Do you think he was robbed at the Academy Award? We had mentioned him, though. So right, right. Yeah. But do you think he was robbed at the at the Academy Award uh, for the? Uh, is it the Revenant? No, no. It wasn't that he was robbed? But do you think he deserved? I'm, what did you think about him winning for the Revenant? And then he, because his feeling was he should have won before that. He should have won before. That's right. What do you yeah. think of him winning for the Revenant? And what I wanted to say, but I didn't know him, and so I didn't want to be jokey about it. Yeah. But now that I'm not around him, sure. Here's what it is. You you say to me like sure. do, do you think uh, uh, do you think that do you th- what do you think about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio winning for the Revenant? Like I personally think that he should have won for The Departed before that. Well, I think I think the Bear should have won. He was doing all the work. That yeah yeah, well, that's fair. The Bear was doing all the sexual assaulting. <laughs> Is that what you call it? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. 
And you yeah. know what? But because he's a bear, he's going to get away with it. Yeah. And you know why? It's barely legal. <laughs> Here's my question: What? What? Blackmail it. Like what? Like what was uh, that director in in, in or whatever his name is holding over the heads of the Academy to not only win for The Revenant, which I think was an okay movie, mm-hmm. but also for Birdman, which I thought was a terrible movie. Oh, you didn't and like it, Birdman? No, I hated it. And it oh, beat, and you it, were wrong, but that's fine. And it beat a Boyhood, which I think is a way better film and a really oh, okay. like daring film as well. Like it's crazy to me. I did that, like Boyhood a lot. But I liked, yeah. I liked and as a project, well. it's much more, it's huh. way more pioneering and interesting than what Birdman was. Well, they're so different. They are. They are different. They're so, they're so different. Yeah, that it's hard to say. But, but I mean, both of them were such, I mean, again, if you don't like Birdman, I can't convince you that Birdman's <laughs> good because it's such a big swing. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, if it doesn't, if it doesn't get it for you, then it doesn't get it for you. But yeah, it's, I, that's one of those examples to me of like, apples and pandas. Like, you just can't <laughs> judge the two in the same it's category. It's true, it's true, but... I mean, I don't know. But yeah, Boyhood, yeah, you sometimes it's have the to kind re- of film that has to win the award. You would think so, because here's people who put 20 years of their lives into a, a project for a crazy project. Yeah. That like, that, you know, like, like here's a director going to all these actors and, and like some of them he'd worked with, like Ethan Hawke. Sure. So that was probably an easy sell. But he didn't know uh, Patricia Arquette. Right. And just coming up to her and saying, hey, would you mind being a part of an ongoing 20 year project where, yeah. you know, we're going to film like once a year. Uh, and she's like, yeah, sounds great. And I was watching an interview with her because she was when she was promoting High Desert, and she said like there was a year where the studio forgot about the movie. It literally mm. forgot that they were making Boyhood, and it had no money put aside for for the budget for that year. And so Linklater just paid for that year's filming himself. Wow! Just because we got to make this movie, you know, we're this far in, we cannot stop now. Yeah. Okay. Here's where here's where I think maybe they didn't uh, win for. Yeah. Uh, they didn't win for it. Nice words. Yeah, uh, I was in the sun a lot yesterday. <laughs> um, I think okay. when it comes to Hollywood, and it's Hollywood people voting. That's a problem. They love okay. a movie about, about actors. That's one thing. Yeah, that's right. It was about actors, and those almost always win. Mm-hmm. Hello, Almost Famous. I know it was uh, about the music industry, but it was a movie about a critic of the music industry that all the music industry goes, we love you. Yeah. It's great hanging with you. Love to sleep with you. You're the best critic. Critics are great. Very important, too. Anyway, how's that movie doing? Critics love it. No shit. Um... But I think something about Boyhood yeah. is it uh, really puts mortality out there, not in a you can distance yourself from it mm. way, but as in a shit, I'm watching a child age into <laughs> an awkward man. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're a parent, that's something that will trigger something in you. Sure. And even if you're not, it'll make you think time <laughs> these were you know patricia arquette and ethan hawk are two of the you know uh best looking young actors and i'm watching them they're fine in later yeah but i'm watching people age 20 years yeah and now i'm thinking of my own mortality fuck <laughs> meanwhile we got a film with michael keaton and it's kind of just that sweet spot that you've got sometimes with actors where uh, I like Michael Keaton. Oh, mm. I want Michael Keaton to do well. Oh, he seems to be doing quite well. Oh, yay. Good. Michael Keaton. That makes me feel good because I liked him when I was young. And now he's uh, still around. And that makes me feel immortal. And I like it. And it's so good because I'm going to live forever. Okay, good. <laughs> what about the other one? You will die one day. Fuck you. <laughs> Michael Keaton. Birdman. Here you go. Maybe that was it. Yeah. The unconscious psychology of boyhood. It's disturbing to watch someone age. Well, I didn't find it disturbing at all. I found that movie really hard. Uh, heartbreak or like heartening okay 
I really like that film because it's about it's about growing into yourself, you know, like becoming who you are. And I really I thought that's it's a great illustration of no matter what you do to a kid, <laughs> you know, like not that his parents were mean or anything, but you know they had their own they had their own things going on. Mm-hmm. They weren't always there for him. Yeah, you know. Yet he found his way. I think that's really a, a good message. With Boyhood, did they? Do you think? I wonder how much the I'm saying to you, but maybe you don't know. And why would you know? But uh, how much do you think the script changed over the years? Well, I think that it was written every year. Ah, oh, like it was written so that it would, inc- it would incorporate the changes of the times into the script. Sure. Okay. So, so he had like a general kind of idea of what he wanted. So things like the parents divorcing and and you know the the new dad, like the yeah. stepdad, and those sort of things were part of the structure. Imagine if but some, they were written every year. Imagine if someone was doing that and uh, COVID hit. <laughs> yes, but you would incorporate that into the movie. You would. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll be interesting, like uh, seeing in the future whether uh, those years, the COVID years, mm. uh, will be used for movies. Yeah. Or if it'll just be no. Yeah. It depends where we are. I guess at some point we're going to be interested in relive, like re. Living it, but in a way that's revealing to us, not sure. Because when you're going through it, you're too close to it to see it in a in a bigger big picture way. Yeah. So I think you know, in ten years, if people want to do a movie looking back at this time, you know, you can you know, I don't think it has to be like about COVID, but to put it in that time period where you have like you know people on either side of vaccine as like it's good or bad, and just different things like that 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 all kind of existed around this around these. Uh, in this time period that we went through, but in yeah. a way we went to, we're too close to it to see it in a, in a big picture way. Yeah. So. Whenever I see a film now that uh, takes place during that time period mm. and you see the masks going on or yeah. just beforehand, you're like, yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. That hits pretty deep. But I can't imagine that filmmakers in the future won't be able to touch on it because yeah. it's such an important part of their childhoods, especially since to them as kids, it was even longer mm. because there was like this just period of time when everyone yeah. was at home yeah. and you were doing stuff on this, on your screens and yeah. it was your school. Yeah. 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 Whether it was a boring time or a interesting time, I think it depends on your personality, but yeah, it was, a, it was a, that would, that would be interesting. I think to come back to it, but not not right away. Actually, when I watch a movie now and people are wearing masks, and if I'm not like in an operating theater or something, but people are wearing masks, I'm just like, ugh, I hate masks. <laughs> Get that shit out of here. I don't want to see it anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I have to um, I have to write an article about psych horror. By the way. All right. I'm gonna get going on that. Okay. Maybe on my trip, I'll I'll, I'll try and spend some time thinking about it. Because well, I do think it's like a I think it's an unexplored genre. That just sort of popped up, like in some. Because I was thinking about folk horror, mm-hmm. and then I was thinking about that, and I feel like they're very similar to each other. But the psych horror has to have like an element of either metaphysical or some sort of transcendent element to it, or at least a hallucinogenic, like a trippy feel to it. You know, where it feels like the characters are having trouble understanding what reality is. Sure. You know. And uh, and you and the audience are also having trouble because you are embro- in kind of like we're talking about. We were, I think we weren't talking about during the show about um, Nina just saw Videodrome. And when she told me she was going to see it, I said to her, it's a movie you have to watch twice. The first time you just watch it, the second time you understand what's happening. And I think that's the same thing about those sort of movies is the first time you watch it, you're just experiencing it. The second time you understand more of what's happening. Uh, you can start and you can start parsing out what is hallucination, what's reality, what's what's uh you know make him ups in this person's mind i wonder if uh there's a director's commentary for that one for 
video drama. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if David Cronenberg does commentaries. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting, actually. Mm. He's an interesting cat. He is. There's that fun uh, video of him, um, John Carpenter, and and um, director of uh, American Werewolf in London. John, John Landis. John Landis. Talking... Just to get like it's on a set, it's very plain, like one of those sort of like cable access shows from sure. from the eighties, early eighties. Just a guy interviewing about horror movies and stuff like that, and it's interesting because obviously it's kind of clear that Carpenter and, and Cronenberg kind of aren't huge fans of Landis, just because he's not really a horror guy. Yeah, you know, he's done one horror movie. Why is he here? You know, uh, it was a pretty good one. That's American Werewolf is pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it has some good parts to it, but uh, I, I'm not the biggest fan of the world of that movie, but. Uh, yeah, wow, we're very different people. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're friends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like it. I like it enough, but uh, I don't know. My one complaint: it's, it's this... no American Werewolf in Paris. Yes, with Gene Kelly. Um, yeah, my complaint about that movie—it's not a big complaint. There's other parts of it that don't hang together, but I really, I just find it boring. The the werewolf change, and I know that people were very excited at the time that you could do all these things and make parts, body parts, yep. stretch and stuff like that. It's the same with the Howling. It's like interminable when, when people are changing into werewolves. And it's like, if this is what it's really like, no one would get killed by werewolves. Because they, <laughs> they would all be like moved out of the county by the time, and not just themselves, their entire household goods would all be packed in a truck and gone before the werewolf was finished transforming. I just find that silly. I, I prefer the Dark Shadows way of just like having the actor's face morph into a werewolf face. And then yeah, that's like the, we're movie, off to the, the original races. werewolf movie. Yeah. Off to the races. Let's go. It would be uh, it would be interesting if you had like one of those monsters where it's Dracula and the, and the Frankenstein monster uh, just waiting for him, and they're just on a couch, just like, oh, come on, hurry up, we got to go uh, village. Oh my gosh! Well, they burned my castle, you know, while we're waiting for all werewolf. <laughs> you know, he's down in the woods. Oh, yeah. Is he pooping? And the hands growing. Yeah. <laughs> The bones are all breaking. Snap, 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 snap. The snout's growing out. And you're yeah. and you know, just like, oh, a time. Oh, my God. How and then by that scene? point, it's daytime. Yeah. And like he has to go back. And it's like. <laughs> 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 it's a different wolf. You never see them changing back, do you? No, because it's boring. No, it'd be interesting. Watching a guy turn <laughs> from a wolf into a dude. That'd be interesting. Um. <laughs> this is all this is, you can just here is the thing watch American Wolf and Lennon backwards and then you'll see him turn back into a man oh, it's okay. a lot of like backwards and his snow goes back inside right. by the way I know you just said Paul is dead like I know you were dead, <laughs> yes I did please back mask that please um, but no because what's interesting to me about that interview is that Cronenberg's uh, just finished Videodrome right so that's like his biggest independent film like his biggest funded by Canadian dentist movie then we've got John Carpenter has just completed Work on the Fog, a movie he didn't like after he finished it. He realized, oh, no, this is no good. Right. Uh, and then we've got John Landis speaking in past tense because his next project has nothing to do with a horror film ah, other right. than maybe maybe it does. Maybe it was, uh, was it? Uh, Twilight Zone? Twilight Zone that came out after that? Could be. Yeah, that was a horror movie. Yeah. For him anyway. Um, but yeah, so it's just sort of an interesting like moment for all those all those directors, you know. Cronenberg's just starting to transition out of that into like doing. Uh, he'll probably, I guess, he'll do um, the Stephen King adaptation next of uh, the Dead Zone. Oh, okay. And then Good film. Yeah. And then, I mean, Carpenter's going to go on from a so-so fog yeah. to a really great The Thing. Yeah. So 
Yeah, it's interesting. Did you ever, uh, and I think we've talked about this before, watch the Maniac Mansion episode? Yeah. Of which one? That's oh, called Maniac Mansion. Yeah, but what, like the TV show Maniac yeah. Mansion. But what's the episode? The episode with David Cronenberg uh, in it. Oh, no. Yeah, they do kind of a riff. Because one of the characters there is Harry the Fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, so, so they yes. do a riff on that. And then at one point, David Cronenberg shows up at the door, you know, for some reason. And uh, yeah, it's a very good episode. If people, if listeners don't know, the actor's name is John Hempfill. And you probably would know him from Schitt's Creek if you were a fan of Schitt's Creek. And also know him from SCTV. This seems less likely, like nowadays. I think Schitt's Creek is probably has bigger spread. Oh, well, that hurts my feelings. <laughs> then, you know what? SCTV. I'm feeling really boyhooded right now. <laughs> uh, he plays the uh, car mechanic on the show. Okay, I haven't really seen the show. Oh, it's a very good show. I have heard good things. And uh, he's very funny on it as well. Good. And yeah, he's also very good on Maniac Mansion, which is a very good show. Their their parody of Cape Fear is uh, Mwah, Chef's Kiss. Or Bear's Kiss, if you prefer. Mwah. And Cronenberg is also... Uh, you might know Cronenberg. David Cronenberg. Yeah. Uh, from as a psychiatrist in Nightbreed. I don't know. Maybe you would. Maybe you wouldn't. Uh, it's, it's this, it's, listen, it's no Hellraiser, yeah. but it's no Hellraiser 3. So, you know, good for that. Uh, but he's also in Star Trek Discovery. Is he? Yeah, he's a Star Trek character. Oh, oh And oh. He's, he's good. And he wears his glasses. Yeah, yeah. He's got real good future glasses. <laughs> so, you know, you learn that in the future, people still wear glasses. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they could fix their eyes, but he chooses not to. He also plays a, a killer in that Nicole Kidman film. Yes, To Die For. To Die For, yeah. yeah. Bit of a spoiler in that, but yeah. It's a movie that's been around a it's, while. It's, the, it's a scene in the last, it's the last five minutes of the movie. It's been around it's a, a while. Dave, what am I eating at White Spot? can't talk about What am I eating at White Spot right now? You can't talk about a movie. Uh, anyway, see, that's, that's, see. See to die old. for regardless. Yeah, Gus Van Sant, very good movie. Yeah, and very nice uh, last scene. <laughs> yeah, so something that you'll enjoy. Pre- pre- uh, preceded by what Dave just said. <laughs> but uh, yeah, oh man, the last image is so good. Mm. Um, chef's kiss, that's what <laughs> you said. <laughs> All right, everyone. I think it's time that we wound it down this puppy. And uh, let me say to my friend here, uh, I know you're right now in uh, Europe. Yeah. Uh, I am going, is it Europe? UK. UK. They're no longer part of Europe. Europe. It used to be part of Europe. Now it isn't. Yes. Oh my gosh! It's been so. We've been doing this show so long yeah. that uh, it's no longer Europe. They poured cement down the tunnel. And I don't the mean channel. the show since we started like uh, years ago. Yeah. I mean this one. This one episode. <laughs> it's pretty long. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm wishing you in real time here, not in future time. Okay. Safe travels. Thank you. Safe, much. fun travels. I hope you end up with a whole bunch of stories that are the good kind of stories. Okay. And not the Oh, those sheep. We didn't see them coming. Who knew sheeps were pickpockets? Yeah, the sheep uh, took my passport. (laughs) Now the sheep is like doing my job. Yeah, yeah. uh... We got to load this truck by Tuesday. (laughs) You'll do it. You'll like it. (laughs) Oh, no, the sheep's unionizing. Dedrick, you've changed since you've come back, and I like what I see. (laughs) I like you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. How do they contact us? How do they contact us? Indeed. Well, you know, we have a website. It's called SiggyDragon.com. You can go there. You can leave a comment underneath the episode. It'll be there on the website, SneakyDragon.com. We have an email address. It's SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. What? No sound. I was enjoying that. (laughs) Well, it's gone now. Um, We are on Facebook at SneakyDragon. We are on Twitter at Sneaky underscore Dragon. Final lot found. 
<laughs> 404. What is it called? Bad Gateway? Um, and I guess we're on Patreon. Sure, why not? There we are. Yeah, we will take uh, American money. We'll take Canadian money. We will take Orkney bucks. Orkney bucks, yeah. Orksit bucks. I know they can't have regular money because they got no trees. So they can't print out <laughs> paper print real money. money. Yeah, yeah. It's all it's all paint printed on uh, hemp. Right there, yeah. But I'm sure there's a lot of buried gold in the Orkneys. Orkneys, yeah, yeah. Oh, don't mention. Feels like there's a lot of gold. Don't mention that. We're gonna get another one of those Oak Island shows on television. Okay. Endless. Don't those people know it's just like a giant? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Do you know Oak Island, right? Nope. Oh my gosh, it's a crazy thing. Before we go, folks, I'm going to just explain a little bit about Oak Island. It's, a, it's an <laughs> island off the coast of the, in the Maritimes. And sometime in like either the late late 19th century or late 20th century... I'm going to have candy while you sure, tell me sure. about this. A young lad was looking out his window and he saw lights on this island. Mm. And somehow out of this very innocent incident, because it wasn't like that far away from hum- humankind, so anyone could have gone over there and had a lantern because mm-hmm. they needed to see what they were doing. But from that... It, the story became that there was pirates treasure on Oak Island mm. and they found like this structure. It's like a wooden structure, like in the ground. And so everyone thought, well, this is where the treasure is. They've, you know, built this like shaft and they buried all the right. gold in there. And so this is like a hundred, more than a hundred years ago. People are still trying to dig it out. <laughs> it is so difficult because it's all sand and it just all collapses. And has this been on in search of probably, I think it Probably, has. yeah. I mean, I first read about it in uh, a Canadian version of Ripley's Believe It or Not. It mentions in there the mystery of Oak Island as being this endless thing. And it's, it's really, it's not a treasure hunt. It's a tar baby. People have just got stuck. They're obsessed with it. They cannot get it out of their heads. Mm-hmm. These are just like people who are absolutely like pathologically obsessed with something to the point where they don't care how many hundreds of thousands of dollars it's taking to bring dredging equipment across... Uh, you know, cross the ocean to this little island and try and drill down into this place, all looking for this completely fictitious pirate, pirate's gold. I might be wrong. In 10 years, when some guy who spent a million dollars excavating... I mean, it really sounds like you think there's the gold, but you're trying to get us all <laughs> You know, spend all this time excavating it and finally find the pirate's gold, but I have a feeling, really, that this is much ado about nothing. Mm-hmm. Famous Shakespeare play. And just like that play... Are you thinking of It'll two end. gentlemen no. of Bologna? Bologna? Yeah. Yeah. Sandwich. Some whole bunch of Bologna? Yeah. Yeah. It's written by the Earl of Sandwich. Nice. The Buried Wives of Windsor. The Taming of the Pooh? No, that doesn't work. <laughs>